Eleven is an anime adaptation of a Japanese adult visual novel developed and published by Last First. Released on April 25th of 2008 for a Windows Microsoft PC as a DVD, Eleven is Last's fourth game. So that should tell you everything you need to know about what this review is going to pertain. The age rating is TV14, so it's not too explicit beyond the typical edginess or fan service. But if that's... But if that sort of thing bothers you, go ahead and click off the video because it's all downhill from here. In short, Eleven Eyes follows the childhood friendship of Satsuki Kakaru and Minase Yuka, who grew up together living ordinary lives until one expected day where they are both transported to a different world. First, are you happy we are watching this instead of decadence? And second, how would you describe Eleven Eyes? Uh, first, yes. Uh, I'm happy that we watched this instead of Decadence, even though it was painful and horrible and very difficult to get through. I saw Decadence recently. I, I rewatched De Decadence recently, so you know the only thing worse than watching Decadence the third time. Well, no wait. Uh, I guess I'd, I'm trying to say that Decadence would be worse than watching this, but that's actually kind of hard to say. Um, I don't know. It's something new and it's awful, but at least it's something new. Uh. And second, how would I describe Eleven Eyes? Uh, really fucking bad. Really, really fucking bad. Uh, I'm going to try and limit how many times I say this show is really fucking stupid and bad, but it's going to be hard for me to do that this time. Usually, when I, we watch things that are bad, I kind of have like more criticisms and more ways to like investigate what exactly is wrong with it, but it's really difficult to do with Eleven Eyes because it's just, from top to bottom, just like awful in every way. Um... <laughs> So it's hard to have any like kind of meaningful criticism when something is just like poor quality in almost every aspect. See, the first couple questions or two are basically going to be about like a broader topic because I literally cannot think of anything substantial to get out of this. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for me to say like, oh, like when you ask me like, what do I think about the plot? I'm just going to say really fucking stupid. But like, I know that I should say more, but... It's going to be very, I'm going to really, it's going to be straining my ability to describe what I've just seen. Uh, but I'm going to put all my effort into it. Well, with one piece, right, it's Looney Tunes, but things are actually happening. So as much as we're saying something about it, like, oh, this is stupid, it's because it is, but there's also things going on to actually talk about. Right. I mean, it's meant to be, like, silly and the actions that are happening. I mean, it's like, it's not like someone like brain deadly slapped some shit in there and just said oh it ended up being stupid or silly or cartoony it's like it feels like a lot of things were not given the proper amount of attention and it just ended up being like a total garbage fire mess but if i had mm -hmm. to really strain myself to like describe a thing it has to be with references because eleven eyes feels very like full of reference to other things so it, this is personal but i think it's you know if i had to describe eleven eyes as best as i could i would say it's a combination of like Fate, Stay Night, the original from 2006. Uh, Persona. I thought Persona 4, but people are saying Persona 3. And uh, Doki Doki Literature Club, kind of. Which one of those do you think is the most similar? Fate? I'd say Fate, but some people in the comments uh, like reviewing this, this show think it is very, very similar to Persona. I haven't seen, I haven't played Persona 3, but that's what people say it's the most like. What are the similarities? Um, to Persona or in general? Just in general to the three you mentioned. Okay, so <laughs> with Fate Stay Night, the, the similarities are that there's like a fucking loser main character 
who has no powers until it's convenient to give him some powers, and then he's he's the solution to all the problems. You know, I, I find that very frustrating where there's a guy who just, like, sucks for, like, three quarters of a show, and then at the end he gets his awesome power up, and then he is the, the one who has to take charge, and all the, like, other side characters just kind of sit there watching him, like, save the day. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, obviously there's sort of the harem aspect of it. I mean, they're both based on visual novels where you just, like, date a bunch of stupid girls or whatever. Um, there are strange BDS BDSM angel-type characters in both. Uh, there are multiple instances in Fate Stay Night where the whole world gets a red filter on it for no real reason. Uh, I don't know. I get the, there's probably some more, but those are the things that like, like pop in off the top of my head. I uh, honestly forgot about the Mel MC in Fate Stay Night. Well, he's so forgettable. Uh, but yeah. he ends up, at the end of the show, he ends up being like the you know ultimate save the day guy for no real reason either. He didn't really do any training besides getting slapped around by uh excalibur or whatever or artorias or whatever name is i will um, say that the other fate series tend to have way better characters than him oh yeah no i don't i don't mean to say that this is like fate series in general i just mean specifically fate stay night from 06 this feels like <laughs> it feels so similar to it's me it's kind of funny because you're saying take the worst aspects of all three of those things i mentioned yes. and this is what you get yeah, take the things I don't like about these other properties, and then they took all of them and said, what if this was just the show? Um, so I'm not familiar with the world of, like, this comes from, I think I played one visual novel ever. Mm. How much of this is just softcore pornography or an ad to buy the pornographic game? And how much of it is, like, porn, but we're trying to tell an actual story simultaneously? Hmm... That's a pretty good question. Uh, I feel like a lot of these... I don't know about Eleven Eyes specifically. And I haven't played any visual novels myself, but I guess it's just sort of stuff that you know if you've watched enough horrible anime and then had to ask questions about what the you know origins of the shit that you just watched are. I think that... I mean, the visual novels... I mean, there's definitely porn there. and But it, it is kind of like... It's just... It's a case... It depends on the type of visual novel, I guess. But stuff like this, specifically, like what I think this genre kind of fits into, is like you read, you read and interact with a story for a good amount of time, and then they just slap some porn in your face, and then you go back to like playing the game, and then like an hour later you get some more porn. Uh, this is a generalization, so I'm not exactly sure how Eleven Eyes compares, but that's kind of how some of these things go, from what I know. It is kind of funny because I still think of Watamo. We only watched it like two, three weeks ago. Yes. So this is like very much something she would watch probably. Maybe. Yeah. She was a boy watching though. Eleven Eyes, definitely. No, no. <laughs> I think Watamo has been exposed to Eleven Eyes and that partially like damaged the, the little wappy brain in there. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I was very Watamo... confused watching it because like I was always high IQ. You know, I read Slash and mm-hmm. wrote like gay fan fiction about Naruto and Sasuke. Sure. I was very confused. I didn't know. I was like, is this for boys or girls? I, I literally don't know. No, this is 100% for horny horny, horny boys, definitely. Horny teenage boys who uh, don't understand, well, don't care that there's a horrible story involved in the porn that they're watching. Um, yeah, I, don't, I did not engage in this sort of stuff when I was a teen. I think the only, <laughs> the only, uh, like, erotic fiction that I ever read was not really on purpose, but it was Godzilla <laughs> fanfiction. Sexy Godzilla fanfiction. 
Well, that's why I didn't look anymore because that's the first thing I saw, and I was like, okay, I don't think this is for me. I don't it's think. Okay. <laughs> I think I was maybe thirteen or fourteen, and I stumbled on that, and I was like, you know what? I'm just like got not gonna read this because this is about like sexy Godzillas, and I think I'm good. I accidentally did the same thing with Alien, where like I was <laughs> reading it, and the first like two chapters of the fan fiction were just like normal writing. Right. And then, like, it had a xenomorph attack, and then the xenomorph was sexy, and it was like, oh. <laughs> I, like, no. shut off my phone and, like, cleared my history and, like, never <laughs> looked at it the rest of the day. I had a similar experience, but it was actually, like, mine, the thing I read was very intentionally horny from the start. And I was like, what the fuck? Why, why is Godzilla going to high school and then, like, doing, like, tail, like, tail heavy petting with the tail on other, another horny Godzilla from, in high school? It was, like, subtle enough to where you were, like, is this, like, slice-of-life Godzilla? Yeah, I was like, is this, like, is this, like, anthropomorphized Godzilla going to high school? That's kind of interesting. And then it was like, oh, but then the tail went where it should not go. And I was like, what the, f- what the fuck is happening? What the hell? It, it turned into Beastars real quick. It turned into Beastars, but, like, explicit Beastars very quickly. So, I don't really watch too many anime with fan service in it, despite the amount of anime I do consume. Uh-huh. Bleach is probably the only one that comes to mind, and I don't particularly care for that part of the series. This is essentially just an advertisement for porn, but acts as if there's some actual plot going on. How did you feel watching it? We talked a little bit about it, some of your prior experiences or whatever. Yeah. How did you feel watching it, particularly that aspect of it? And what are your general thoughts of the use of fan service in anime? Because I. Don't know how I feel about it. My I'll, impulse I'll is to, to hate it. Yeah, I'll get to that second. Uh, my first impulse on this, like, the fan service used in this anime, I mean, it was, like, egregious. I think that this show has essentially no redeeming qualities, except if you are horny and want to see, like, very, very, not porn, but just, like, upskirts of random anime, like, girls and whatever, and, like, girls in their underwear, I guess. If that's what you want to see and you're very horny, then this is the show for you. If you have a functioning brain and are watching anime for any other reason, then this is not the show for you. Um, the use of the fan service is insane. I think it's way over the top. It doesn't make any sense for most of the time that it's in there. Um, one of the few mo- like moments of joy that I got from the show, though, was like waiting for to see how long between scenes there would be another like over the top, we- very strange fan service moment. And there were a lot of them, so I was entertained occasionally. I did um, think it was interesting when, like, we would just, or not interested, lack of a better word, we would be sitting there, and, like, I would think it's, like, an innocuous, boring moment, and you're, like, there's gonna be wind, and then, like, wind would blow, and it was just, like, oh, my God. Yeah, nothing would be happening, I'd be, like, wait, the wind is coming, and then someone's skirt would get blown up, and they'd go. Yeah, the only fan service in the entire thing, I actually thought, well, there's two examples that I thought were funny. The one is like standard anime stuff where they introduce like the cougar and like she has she okay, is in the doctor with jiggle physics. Yes, the doctor was very funny because she was standing still, but her boobs were bouncing up and down. That is like an okay use of it in my idea. Well, okay, so here is one thing I will say. This is not the case in this anime, but there are times that I'm I'm not saying this is good, but if you're if you're rooting around in the trash can and you are looking for a way to communicate a character non-verbally and, like, communicate something about the character non-verbally, that is a tool that you could use if you are in the dire straits and, like, need to talk to your horny fans for a second. Like, 
the use of the fan service in that particular moment did communicate who this character was in like half a second. Now that doesn't mean something that doesn't mean it's good because this character has like no other no other qualities besides that she is a horny cougar with giant titties. But that is effective storytelling if that is the shitty story that you're trying to tell. A lot of the other fan service in this show served no purpose because it was just like, look, it's my ass. What do you want? And it's just whichever random character is having their ass showing. So I will say that that is the one time in the show where the fan service almost did something that could be called storytelling. But what it is doing is not good. It's just it is a time when the storytelling was effective at doing the thing it wanted to do. Does that make sense? Because I think yeah. a, lot of the other, a lot of the other times, the fan service is just like, hey, I'm naked now. Check it out. Uh, there's no reason for this to be happening, but I am naked. What? Can we go quickly over, like, three examples and you let me know your thoughts on them? Sure. Okay, so... In the Cowboy Bebop movie, where Faye is kidnapped and he cuts open her top, the terrorist, and is, like, over her, is that too much? Or uh, that, that part fun? does make me kind of uncomfortable, and I'm not sure what... what uh, purpose it's really serving i don't think that that serves a greater purpose in the movie on the whole personally i don't know either. Uh, i think it's one of the few misses in that movie which is generally like 95 percent like very good i think that's one of the few times when i'm like this it, this is a this is a, an extended scene this is not 10 not five seconds this is going on for like probably a minute and a half and i don't see what purpose this is serving except to show us that Faye is kidnapped and at the mercy of this guy but we already know that. There's no additional information being shown except that, oh, this guy's really messed up if the fact that he killed like a train full of people already did not tell you that he was a messed up guy. So yeah, I don't think that that's effective storytelling in that fan service. Uh, and I think it mostly is just there for schlock exploitation, you know, value or whatever. So this isn't necessarily fan service, but it's debatable. Mm -hmm. Basically, Berserk Golden Age, all the scenes of like, Pasca, when everything's going down, there's like, mm. and the, I mean, it's super arguable, but what are yeah. like your thoughts on that? Well, that's a good question because of what I just said about how I feel about the thing with Faye and Cowboy Bebop. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I think that I generally don't really like it and I don't think it's really necessary, but, you know, if you want to give creative freedom to, you know, the Berserk guy, um, uh, I mean, it does really make Griffith seem like a really, you know, big bastard. But I don't know. I just feel like he was already a big bastard because he killed everybody except for, uh, you know, her and uh, uh, Guts and whatever. Again, I feel like sometimes using, like, uh, you know, sexual, sexual stuff to show that a guy is a bad guy when he's already done, like, horrible, like, immoral things. Like, it doesn't really heighten anything except that you really don't like him, but I already didn't like him. So it's, like, kind of, like, not adding anything, and it's mostly just there for, like, shock value or, you know, titillation or something. But it's, like, why would he be titillated by that? Uh, so, yeah, I don't really think that it adds much. It just kind of heightens this guy being a bastard more than he already was. But it's, like, and also it's, like, it's kind of feels like a lame excuse to be, like, oh, she's nonverbal now because of this specific part and not all the other shit that just happened. like woman gets silenced because man did, you know, a bad thing to her. Does I always, yeah, people brought up, and I think this is, like, a very unserious and, like, goofball internet thing to do. Yeah. People would be like, 
Well, it's not that bad. Griffith, like, literally was abused by that, like, uh, pedo king or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I don't think I that's think important. That's, I think that's a much more effective use of that. If you're going to... If you're going to use that sort of thing in a manga, I think that's the more effective of the two times that it's used in in the in Berserk. See, I don't think it's necessary because I think he's shown later on through the rest of his entire story. Oh, yeah. I don't do think that it's necessary. That. I don't think it's necessary either. I'm just saying of the two, that's the more effective one, I think. Well, you can glean multiple things from that. One Griffith is like has higher aspirations and all this yes. other stuff. You're right. I don't think there's much to be gleaned from what happens with Pasca. Uh, and I, I think it's kind of annoying when people defend it, like, oh, it just shows how messed up it truly is. And I'm like, it's just like, I already saw it. I already, I mean, we've already experienced, like, the the eclipse and shit. How, it's, it's already fucked up as it can possibly get. So there's not really an, an ad, added necessity to, like, throw that stuff in there. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of just like whataboutism, I suppose. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I think generally it's not, not particularly necessary in Berserk. Um, I, I wouldn't really call it fan service. I feel like it's more just like heavy-handedness in like how you deal with something, like how you depict somebody being a bad guy. Sure. My um, Was there last example, yeah. I do. Mm -hmm. I can't get you to actually talk about this in private, so I'm just going to ask you here. Oh, boy. So what about kill a kill? Just like irks you to the point of like this is <laughs> this is horrific. Uh, I hate kill a kill. I've watched some of it. Uh, okay. I think that <laughs> it's just why, dude? Why? Why is that all that this show is about? <laughs> I agree, and I understand that people will write like eight paragraphs being like, "Well, actually, it, her being fourteen has something to do with the plot or something." Actually, but it's about free will, and you're free to dress like a stripper. <laughs> okay. uh, I don't know. I think Kill a Kill is really is really, in my opinion, Kill a Kill is really pulled down by the the fan service that is so directly tied into every aspect of the show. Uh, because I think the show is interesting and could be more interesting if there wasn't like constant like titties bouncing and being squeezed by like every every character. Um, I mean, I don't think that's like it's hard for me to say that. Oh, that's the show is criticizing that, and that's what it's about. It's a satire of seeing giant titties swinging every five seconds in anime. I just don't think that. I don't think there's a critical a critical enough eye given to that aspect of the show. Uh, and it's much more participatory in the thing that it would be criticizing than actually criticizing it. If you had something, um, what would be like a good example if you have one of fan service? <laughs> I really have to rack my brain to think of any. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting question because it's like, why do I, why do I not like fan service? And I think it's because it is superfluous. It's a piece of it's a piece of the show that is superfluous to the rest of the show, and it just sort of sits there like glaring in my face. So I think it's hard for me to think of a time that I think fan service is good because I I think kind of by definition that fan service if I define something as fan service I'm defining it as something that is kind of to the detriment of the wider story. Uh, like I don't think that showing a character as a, like a sexy woman who like uses her sexuality as part of her character or to take advantage of other people. I think that there are definitely times when that isn't fan service. Like, yeah. Faye, Faye generally in Cowboy Bebop 
I don't think she's always doing fan service in the show. I think there are many times that part of her character is using sexuality as like a way to get people off guard or as a defense mechanism or like some other aspect of her personality is like reflected in, in using her like sexuality in like a blatant, like a blatant way or like a over the top way. So I think that's kind of weaving the character in with fan service in a way that is not so detrimental to telling the story of who this character is. Does that make sense? Yeah, a good example is Michiko and Hatchin. Oh yeah, sure. Michiko and Hatchin, sure. Yeah, it's like that is an aspect of the character and it's not existing for a reason just for the titillation of the audience and not to tell any wider story about the character's development or personality. Then between those two, I feel like there's another line where you're entering a territory of like, it's not a core aspect of the thing, but someone was probably into it while they were doing it and like Ghost sure. in the Shell probably comes to mind. Okay, now here's a good one, actually. Black Lagoon. Have you seen Black Lagoon? I have seen part of Black Lagoon. It's on the wheel. Oh, okay. Um, I think that there, there is a line that Black Lagoon crosses often, which is the line of, like, this is, like, schlock, like, uh, sexy boobs in your face sort of thing. But I, I feel like it kind of is a gestalt with the show because the, the, the show is about, like, kind of about that, which is, like, doing whatever you want, whenever you want, and being totally over the top and in your face and offensive. Like, and no one can tell you what to do or what not to do because you have a gun and you're cool. Um, so I think that Black Lagoon's fan service, which I think there are times when it's clearly fan service, it doesn't bother me as much because I, I think the show is kind of like, you know, it's edgily giving the finger to anyone who would be pissed off at it for like showing tits and ass. And the show is saying, I'd totally shoot you if I could, if I heard you saying I can't show my ass to you. <laughs> so i think it's part of the personality of the show um and i guess you can make the case for kill a kill that being kind of part of it but i think kill a kill is like a little bit not as able to clearly vocalize itself with that kind of attitude like i think that attitude is like core to the to core to the character of what makes black lagoon black lagoon there's like almost a way to like where you can make something that takes inspiration from like kind of sleazy 80s cinema and stuff That's and have all those yeah. references but not have it be an overt like lost in the sauce construction yeah. or whatever. I, I think that's a really good point. I think Black Lagoon is very much drawing from the well of like 70s and 80s like exploitation or like 80s like you know schlocky over the top action shit. I think that is very much something that the creators we're referencing or drawing inspiration from. So I think that's a really good point. Um, also, Black Lagoon's characters mostly are adults. <laughs> that's another part where probably they're intended to be adults who have like agency over their sexuality and presentation. And they're not, they're not teens or young high schoolers being stripped for <laughs> the titillation of whatever other characters in the show. And it's not like Kill a Kill where the 14 year old is getting all of her clothes ripped off and her titties squeezed. And then one of the other characters goes, rocking tits. <laughs> See, that's why I'm okay with, like, some stuff and not others. It's like, yeah, I don't really want to see, like, a middle school girl going, oh, senpai, and, like, air comes and blows up her skirt. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that is just an aspect of a lot of anime because the audience is supposed to be teens uh i guess so that's what the characters are uh but yeah it's uncomfortable to watch even as a teen i think it's uncomfortable to watch if you're not watching it just for the horny bait 
Um, this one's a little weird because it has like full on pornography, I think, in the game. So like it's an adaptation of something right for adults, but it yes. features middle schoolers basically. Well, that's anime for you. It's, it's, you know, I'm just saying. No, I think you're right. I, it's like, I don't really know what to say because that is sort of just the genre as the, on the whole. It's more common than not for that to be what the genre has in it. Um, and it's also just like, I mean, they're cartoon characters and they're just supposed to be whatever ages they say they are. Uh, I mean, they could have, why not make them college students? I don't fucking know. I guess that's just what people wanted was have high, high school students. Like, I don't know. I I find it quite uncomfortable and weird, <laughs> but it is, that is what it is. They are adapting something that was a porno uh, and then doing their best to not show you full-on porno in the show. Or doing their best to, to show you as much porno as they can without showing you actual porno in the show. I don't know. What um, is the worst example of fan service in the show? If you in had this show? One? Yeah. Um... Hmm. I think the one that made my jaw drop the most was the exposition episode where one character just comes out and is like completely stripped in their underwear and rubbing their titties on the main character while he's having the plot explained to him. And then <laughs> she falls asleep. And then she falls asleep. She contributed essentially nothing to the entire show episode. It's a whole episode where she contributes nothing except rubbing her tits and falling asleep on the main character while the rest of the show is happening around the two. All right, I, um, yeah, that probably is the like worst one in terms of like just being so unnecessary. Yeah, there's another good one where the character is laying in a bed and then suddenly gets kidnapped and is immediately in their underwear in a crystal for everyone to see. That too. That one, I was like, why is she? What is ha Why is she naked? What happened? Why did that happen? I kind of don't mind that one as much because she like that's when everything already goes off the deep end. Right, shit's already completely fucking nuts at that point. So it's not. It's sort of just like another slap in the face after you've been like beaten down. <laughs> but that one's just like, why, dude? Just why? Yeah, and if that wasn't like another anime and there's like a naked girl and a crystal, I'd be like, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just we've been beaten down so much and been exposed to so many panty shots and weird shit already happening, and I'm just like. It's like the cherry on top. It's not the worst. It's just like here's here's like the ultimate disrespect at the end. I don't get, you know, I don't respect you, the viewer, at all. Here's some like titties. Here you go. <laughs> the only other one that I thought was funny was the, the like one time before it got super ridiculous when he's drinking the girl's blood. Oh my and god! They just pan it to make it look like she's like giving on him sloppy. Oh. Oh my god, that one's so funny. That's yeah. one of those ones where it's like, had you stayed for more than two seconds, because this is someone's observing and thinking that like some some blowies are happening. It's like, had you watched for more than two seconds, I mean, I guess you'd be weird for staying to watch, but also like, it's so clear that this is just like the weirdest angle that you've ever gotten on. Like, <laughs> it's so stupid. The one that there's a, there's one other one I really didn't like, which is when they stole the crystal from the glasses girl and her all of her clothes get blown off for no reason. Oh yeah, that was that one's like she's she's fully nude, and we just don't see the stuff. But she, all of her clothes are blasted off because they had to get something from her stomach. <laughs> I was like, I like... I, not necessary. You didn't need to blow all of the clothes off to get at her stomach. <laughs> if there was like a samurai manga like Ronin Kenshin, you know, not that one's the author, but like right. that or something, mm. and like Karu walks in and it looks like 
<laughs> like Kinchin's getting the top first. I would be very funny. So In funny. Yeah. The context of a normal, normal yeah. thing. Yeah, that could be. There, there are times when that could be humorous. In this, it was just like I'm like stone faced and being like, "What the fuck? Why? Why more of this?" <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because that could be funny in a different in a different show with a different context. But in this show and in this context, I'm just like, uh, yeah, just stop, stop blowing each other. Who cares?" <laughs> yeah, it's also, it's not, not sexy. What's happening is they're drinking each other's blood in like a not really even sexy way not even like a vampire way you know it just it's so it's what it's so unfortunate how much we're gonna have to talk about like people drinking people's blood yeah (laughs) it happens like five times it does but it's all it's kind of all backloaded you know that is one thing i wanted to say about this show before we start talking about this the the recaps and stuff this is one of the rare shows because i'd say it's been pretty consistent for everything that we've watched and talked about so far that one of my criticisms for a lot of these anime and movies and stuff has been that I think that, that the end of the show is where shit falls off. And that I, I think anime consistently have, has problems with like not sticking the landing at the end. Uh, this show was torture to start. And I actually only started having fun in the last quarter of the show. <laughs> when things got I... so over the top and like totally riotous and totally fucking stupid. And I was like, okay... Now I'm starting to enjoy myself. If the show had been like this from the start and been totally fucking mental from the beginning, I think I would have been enjoying myself more. Yeah, I think if the anime actually tried to do something, it would be good. Because there's one or two episodes where literally nothing happens. Yeah, just the characters walk around and the school and no, there's no fighting. And they just go like, did you know I had like a sad backstory? And then they go, oh, damn. And then they also, just like keep walking. In those episodes, it's like, it's not like Kogias, like little slice of life moments, and it's yeah. not like Lelouchians you see cute mm-hmm. moments. They're literally nothing happens. Yeah, it's it's rough because those you don't have many episodes. This is only twelve episodes, so you don't have a lot of time to be dicking around and doing like literally nothing. So like the fact that like halfway through the show, there's just episodes where nothing happens, and then they have to get to the end of the show. There's like there's an episode at the end, near the end like we're at we're at a quarter left and now an entire episode is de- like dedicated to just exposition dumping and telling me what's actually happening. If you had started with that, you could have had room for more weird shit to happen. But instead, it's like episode eight, time to tell you the entire plot of the show. Yeah, I, I will say out, it definitely though. improves. It improves when shit starts popping off, and that's rare for an anime. So I will say, very small compliment. <laughs> very very minuscule compliment it got more interesting as it went along which is rare for an anime for me my big problem was i checked out like kind of by the time we got to the fast part so it just yes. felt like i was like on a bullet train yeah you you've already kind of you passed out and someone threw you on a bullet train <laughs> yeah and you were like oh it's easy just read the subtitles and i was like you don't understand <laughs> i'm dying here <laughs> yeah i you was supposed to I'm get dying. off five stops ago <laughs> I've been taped to the chair and I'm passing out. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I was only I was I was trying to stay sane for the first couple of like the first three quarters of the show. And it was mostly just me talking to myself. You were just like no comment. You were, you were just like stone faced, like having it wash over you. And I was just talking to myself to stay sane. <laughs> two different is... survival, two different survival strategies, I think. Honestly, this was the hardest you've like 
you talked the entire time to yourself, basically. Yeah, I would thought because I couldn't stay focused otherwise. I had to say something about the show uh, like every every minute because I was like, I'm just gonna completely check out if I don't just like do a mystery science theater thing here and just like talk the entire time. And it wasn't like I talked over anything important. Nothing was happening. Episodes where they just go to the mall and nothing happens. So I was like, I'll just talk because otherwise I'm not gonna be able to keep up with this. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say and we still have one more little cute topic to get into yeah this show is rough it's a it's if you're not here to watch underwear of anime characters like flap about in the wind it's very it's gonna be hard to get through this Uh, is it the is it the worst thing we've seen so far i think so i think it probably has to be yeah i don't think anything gets worse than this (laughs) yeah i it's i usually get a lot of joy out of watching things that are deliberately you know, deliberately watching something that is very poor because I get a lot of, I have a lot of fun criticizing and like seeing what exactly is bad about a thing. Like seeing something is ba- that is bad and then like finding out exactly what makes it bad is part of like what I find is fun in a lot of shows. Like I like taking things apart in general and when it comes to art and I'll, you know, this is broad, broadly speaking, calling this art, but like taking taking apart art and breaking it down into its like, you know, uh, you know, smaller parts and seeing which ones work and which ones don't. That's that's something that is fun to me. And this was hard to do in this show because it was just so poor across the board in every aspect. It, it's like, I usually can find something that's interesting or when I don't think something works, I can like, you know, go down the rabbit hole and see exactly times that it could work or doesn't work or think of ways to make something better is another thing that I think is fun. And all of that stuff was like just not present here. You're given so little uh, that it's hard to work with it. If I was an established artist and, like, was out of work for a year or something and I got offered to work on this, I would take it and be, like, only under the condition you don't credit me, though. Seriously, yeah. Give me my paycheck and don't tell anyone I worked on this. <laughs> yeah, i I rather have, like, Cowboy Bebop seven-year gap and, uh, you know, whatever show that is good, like Cash and Sins or something. Sure. And then in between that, I did five years of working on visual novel anime. This is quite the career that you've uh, you've got for yourself here. <laughs> Honestly, that guy's probably god tier. If that if there's someone out there who's done that, gone from Cowboy Bebop, Cashier and Sins, and then this in the middle, <laughs> that I want to I would love to interview that person and see what their life was like during this period. Was this like the was this like the dark <laughs> the dark winter of their discontent? The strongest uh, candidate I can think of someone that would do something like that is the guy that did Gons. Uh, yeah, sure, I guess so, yeah. Or the guy that did the weird episodes of uh, Cowboy Bebop and all the weird episodes for Ergo Proxy, maybe? I could see an Ergo Proxy type person working on this. This is like Ergo Proxy with no brain. Yeah, it's just the scene where Riel gets pushed up against the wall. Yeah, this is like, I could see... That's, the, that's like a very... <laughs> strip everything that like involves using any sort of like critical thinking skills any any skill really away from ergo proxy and you might be left with something almost resembling parts of this <laughs> yeah there's no like daedalus's name would not be like a vague allusion to philosophy or anything like that no he would be a 12 year old girl that's actually a 5000 year old crystal demon daedalus more like daddy lust how do you feel about the actual mechanics of the series? The power system, world building, etc. Okay. Plot uh, aside. So I'm going to do my best to not just say horrible 
no no work put in suck shit doesn't do anything for me i'll try as best i can let me preface this real quick actually mm-hmm. i don't know how to do this because just this year you know for background for listening i just started playing D. i right. just started doing the southern stuff i actually don't understand world building or how to analyze it particularly well Mm. So how about you tell me, because I would actually like to see how you kind of think about that, and then tell me everything about why this show is terrible. Sure. Um, Well, okay, we'll start. Should we start with power system? Yeah, sure. Okay, sure. Um, So, uh, well, for in my opinion, for like a power system to work, there have to be a couple of rules in play. There have to be like a weight, I mean... This is just in the in the realm of like stuff like Shonen or D and D or games and stuff. I, there can be power systems that don't adhere to these rules in other media or other you know contexts and stuff. I think it's totally fine to have it in something something more abstract and less less bound to a rule system in other pieces of media. But in terms of Shonen and like specifically games like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, I think it's really helpful to have like I don't think you have to have a ranking system, but I think it helps to have a way to understand the general strength of of someone compared to another character like there needs to be a way to to understand who not who is stronger and who is weaker but like who is at the advantage in certain situations and who is at the disadvantage and i think part of the fun in a well-made shonen show is to see someone who's at a disadvantage use other aspects of their personality or their character or the environment or some other you know thing to overcome obstacles or you know difficulties that are laid before them which are usually like someone who's just supposed to be stronger and stuff i think that's what can make a character likable or someone that you root for is to see someone who's at a disadvantage like turn the tables on someone who's clearly stronger or at an advantage uh using some aspect of their character whether they're smart or they're lucky or they're you know just quick-witted but you know not like book smart or something i think all those things can help with the storytelling using a power system does that make sense like i don't think the power system itself is important it's just that it it acts as a framework for you to understand the world and to understand conflict um like when people use dice in D to resolve problems it's not that the dice are important it's that there's a way to have a conflict and then a way to resolve that conflict and introducing a bit of randomness so that there can be tension in resolving that conflict there's the possibility of you losing or the possibility of you winning or the possibility of it going really miraculously better than you thought because of some aspect of luck or other, you know, outside influence or something. I Um, think if we bring it to, like, real-life examples, an easy one, like, probably the most simple level is, like, UFC or something. Yeah. Like, the fighting is legitimate, the storylines are real, then a little more artful is probably, like, pro wrestling. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, obviously, when you're watching MMA or something, this is real life, so you can't just have, like, storylines all the time. But I think people like watching someone who is faster or stronger or faster or like, you know, not always just generally like, like we don't always just want to watch Brock Lesnar dominate everyone. You know what I'm saying? Like having a Brock Lesnar who's someone who is just big and strong and beefy and smack you on head and you go bonky and, and die. Like having someone who can oppose them using aspects that aren't just muscle to muscle and, you know, some element of knowledge or skill or technique, uh, that sets up in, you know, in a perfect storyline, which is not always an MMA, but in like in an anime or a D&D story or something like that, having some way to gauge someone's relative strength versus yourself or another character 
that allows there to be conflict because you can see the differences from yourself and other people and then see how those conflicts resolve themselves. Um, to get back to Eleven Eyes, that is not at all present. There is no way to understand who is stronger or weaker, except when someone says, he's strong, we cannot defeat him. Uh, it, and then the character just pulls out another sword from the ether and smacks him with the lightning sword. And then the lightning sword doesn't work, so they pull out the fire sword. And then that doesn't work, so they pull out the demon sword. And uh, yeah, there's no real power system in this show that I can understand. It's just people saying someone is stronger or weaker, and then they die or get blown up or something. Uh, yeah, I feel like Eleven Eyes is if they took a story that was good and traced over it, but didn't know how to draw a stick figure. Yeah, it's just the outlines of a thing that ha like they know that fate has swords in it, <laughs> so they threw some swords in there. Um, I think that the, the the problem is they spent so many episodes doing nothing that I don't think that there was time for them to even establish like a power system or a way of understanding exactly how the magic or the abilities worked in the show. They just all ma magically started happening that now the main character can use a sword when he couldn't before. I don't know why. Uh, then he drank blood and got the drank blood power up. And now he is the main character and he has all the powers. Uh, we never really understand what powers he does have. He swings a sword. Uh, sometimes his eye goes crazy. And then he can like dodge lasers. And then at the end of the show, he like has imprisonment magic. But it's like, we don't understand why any of this shit's happening. And I will say, at the end of the show, they try to talk about how different characters have different crystals that give them different powers. But, like, we don't learn that until sometimes the characters are already dead and their crystal is out of their body. And then someone just grabs the crystal and says, now I have the power of their dead body, uh, the one they power they used to have or whatever. You know? Like, it's, or it's too late for them to be establishing some of this stuff. Um, I think it's really detrimental to be like, ah, yeah, this, all those powers that we don't understand why these characters had them before... Oh, that was all crystals. Um, but you have to die for me to know what your crystal does. And now you're already out of the plot of the show and you don't do anything. So, you know, it was really cool that you had that power, but now you're dead. Um, it's a little confusing because there's characters that are like probably getting bodied by Kenshin on like an off day. Right. And then there's characters with like moderate tier abilities of like precognition, reality yeah, warping. Exactly. Yeah, there's no there's no basis for what there's no baseline for like what a power looks like in this show. Like one random person has the power to just like control an entire parallel universe, an entire parallel world. And the other character is like swing sword good. And <laughs> I don't know where, and then some people just don't have any power. They don't have like crystals that power them up at all. They just are powerful and they can shoot a big beam. And we don't know what that has to do with anything. And then there's also a big dragon. <laughs> Does this fall into Hunter Theory, or is this so, No, like, this is vague? not Hunter Theory. I think world building. I have Hunter Theory feelings about <laughs> world building in this show. Would uh, you like but, to give an example of the world building? Or explain Hunter, what world building is? Just before we get to that, Hunter Hunter has, confusing, uh, has a confusing power system, but I wouldn't say that it has no power system at all. I would not at all say that. I, I think it's... Fast and loose sometimes, but yes. in the case of like Karapika or something, I think it's yes. very well done. Yes, and they do. They go out of their way to kind of when once a power shows up, not every character, but many of the characters, they go out of their way to define some of the finer points of what the power can do, and then they show us the way, ways that they creatively use it. You know that does not exist in this show. They, I, Hunter Hunter is a work of like genius in terms of power systems compared to Eleven Eyes. 
Like, now, even if you're being very critical, they explain what a character's powers are and their oh, limitations yeah. within Hunter x Hunter, even if well, the variety of powers is very broad. Yes, generally they do. I mean, they're essentially stands, you know, at the at near the end of the Hunter x Hunter, they become more stand-like. Um, but still, it's it, they do a... Hunter x Hunter does a fine job of generally letting us know what a character can do. Eleven Eyes, I have no fucking clue what these characters can do until they tell me that they can do those things. And they've already I'm, done them. Or they're dead. <laughs> Hunter Hunter is also like a, you know, deconstruction or whatever. So like Her. the three Chimera Ant Knights or whatever under Marowind, their powers all represent different aspects of who they are or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Eleven Eyes, it's you can shoot beams, maybe. You have a sword. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes you can control the entire world in a pocket dimension. Uh, sometimes you have regeneration. You have like Wolverine abilities, and that's kind of it. Sometimes you're a dragon who shoots a giant dragon beam. Uh, but like none of it, none of it is defined as anything, uh, uh, except when the characters die and they say, "Oh, their crystal was the power of giant beam." Uh, so if you grab their crystal, you have giant beam now. Uh, yeah, it's really. It's essentially non-existent. It's it's just powers exist, but there's no system that dictates what they do. That's you know, Kamui from Naruto. Uh, yeah. There's that fight where the little girl with knives is bouncing around, <laughs> and then the lady, the demon lady, just literally uses Kamui, teleports behind her, and stabs her. <laughs> it's well, like I don't know but, why you just didn't do that earlier. <laughs> there's so much teleporting in this show that makes no sense at all. There's constant teleporting whenever it's plot convenient. <laughs> it's so funny that like people watch like the Star Wars prequels and they go, this is ridiculous. Like just about the one scene in the first one mm. where they use like super fast speed, like only one time. Yeah. The oh, show like does that a hundred times. Right. Yeah. It's like a joke that they suddenly speed up for no reason. And this is like, no, it's just constant speeding up for no reason. It was yeah, very but... funny when characters, I, I actually, I will give it another tiny, tiny compliment. I was amused and laughing several times when characters sped up for no reason. I feel like we're digging really deep on this one. Well, the compliments, I'm looking, I'm digging for compliments. Usually I'm digging for criticisms because I, you know, I, I think I've been, <laughs> I've been pretty negative about this show already, but um, I think in some of our other recaps and reviews, I've been more negative than I meant to be because I was, I generally had a positive view of a thing. So I was looking for small criticisms. This is like, I'm like, I'm like, uh, digging deep in, under the earth to find like teeny tiny little grains of compliments I can come up with for the show. And this is going to be incredible, but we are not going to be the most in-depth discussion about this because oh, yeah. we'll get around to this. But we're, I'm just teasing There's, you if you're listening. I mean, I find it fascinating that someone could find things to say about this show, but the things that people do have to say this, say about this show, I actually do understand why, because they're they're mostly about how this show compares to other things within its genre or things that were near its genre. I don't think it's possible to really dive deeply into this show without talking about essentially what they're just freely stealing from or you know, very you know, making heavy reference to the other stuff. Other anime, I think, I mean, anime does not exist in a vacuum. There are very very few, if any, shows that don't have some sort of you know, exist in conversation with something else that existed before it or something that was being made kind of contemporaneously. You know what I'm saying? Like, most art doesn't exist in a vacuum 
unless it's you know being you know made in like a, an insane asylum or something like that and even then it's you know a lot of times it's still there's outside influence and, and things that it's in conversation with but a lot of art is talking to other art or or is influenced by other art and this is i think so far over that line that the only way to talk about it in any like real depth is by talking about what it references or what it steals from. Um, did you want to talk about world building or should we move on? I actually think that's important because if we're going to yeah, keep doing sure. the show, we, we've been doing it, you know, I don't know how to really talk about that stuff. I think, yeah, it's I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth defining a little bit more. Um, yeah. Well, I've complained about this before and it's part of <laughs> part of many things that I've, I've talked about before, but I think that it's really useful uh, to have like, to have like a sense of place and a, and a wider understanding of like what the world is like that the characters exist within. And like, for example, when you're playing D and D or I mean, watching a show or something, you know, if you're walking by rows of buildings and you're playing, or let's talk about video games or something, <clears throat> you don't like, like immersiveness in world building in like video games. I think one aspect of that is like feeling like the world is populated, you know? Like, so if you're walking down a street in a video game and you see rows of buildings that all have their doors shut and there's no NPCs outside, you would think, you know, this world feels kind of dead or empty, right? I can't go in any of the buildings. There's nothing to interact with. And if I have to imagine in my head what's going on behind the doors of those buildings, if there's nothing else to give me some information about what's happening in the world, you just assume there are empty boxes inside. So the world feels empty. It, and, and it also, if you're going to do that, there has to be some sort of reason for that. Like, I don't know, a lot of like Dark Souls games or like, like Bloodborne or something like that. There aren't too many NPCs and there's a lot of closed doors. But I think that that serves, that serves a purpose in that game. Uh, you know, it, it's contributing to the feeling of it feeling like you know, this, horror, this horror element or the world is starting to die out. Or characters are all afraid, so they're hiding indoors and stuff. Uh, I think world building is kind of like, I don't know how to exactly define it, but for me, world building is always like, I'm always asking what's behind the doors in this world. Like, are there characters doing things? And if I open that door, would they be going about their business? What would that business look like? Would they have a positive or a negative reaction to me? What, what is the world, you know, that I fit into? Like, what do those people do in their daily lives? Um, so. Uh, to relate that to Eleven Eyes, I mean, there are no other characters in this show besides the main cast. I mean, yeah, there, is I no, there is no world building. There's a scene that really stands out where um, they go back mm -hmm. to what is the human world. Yep. And this isn't a dream or anything, but this little 12-year-old girl with knives is jumping on rooftops. And there's no civilians. Yeah, or there's no one on the street in this show that isn't a character that's in the main cast. There's nobody. There is a there's a room. There's a the only time you see NPCs, quote unquote, is there's a classroom, and there's a couple of like nondescript, like essentially you just see the tops of their heads, and their heads are down at their desks. <laughs> there's like there's almost no other characters that aren't a named character in the show who usually is swinging a sword around and has their tits out. There's only two. There's only two characters who aren't those guys, and they're like the they're the comic relief that doesn't really fit into the rest of the show, the horny guy and his angry girlfriend. You know, uh, like liminal spaces. Yeah, 
So liminal spaces evoke some sort of feeling due to like human psychology or like the way sure. things are lined up, right? Nostalgia or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Imagine a liminal space, but it doesn't have it doesn't evoke any emotion. And then there are two girls in the corner going, hello. <laughs> yeah, this entire anime is set in a liminal space. I mean, it's interesting because the main plot of the show is that they they get pulled into a, a space that is kind of a liminal space right but when they're in the real world the real world is also a liminal space because there's no other characters in it it's just them walking down empty hallways and then seeing tits pop out in their face well there are two characters and one of them is somehow the worst character in the show for me <laughs> the, the the horniest guy <laughs> yeah he's like actually 70 iq well he's the audience i'm pretty sure he's an audience stand-in if there's any character I relate to, it's the girl, like, female friend of that guy. Who beats the shit out of him for being horny all the time? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's me. I, I'm i friends with, like, an ADIQ okay. that's, that's your audience stand-in, is, is the, uh, the girl who's pissed off at the horny guy. Well, now who's your audience stand-in? You're not in the show. I'm the guy eating a baguette. You're like, I'm the guy that worked on this that didn't get a... No, I'm the baguette guy. He's hungry and he's eating a baguette. He's eating an entire baguette while the show is happening around him. He's also... Okay, we'll get into that. He's me. That's me. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> what is a, a good example of world building? Real quick, just... So I, I'm learning. What's what's a good example of world okay, building? Okay, so I don't, I don't want to say Cowboy Bebop again, because we've already referenced that. I'll pick something else. Um... I mean, I think Black Lagoon is a great example of world building. Because, well, they are embedded in the place that the plot takes place in. They're they're on that, like, you know, mercenary island or, like, whatever. And it feels like whenever whenever they aren't doing missions and stuff, they are interacting with the wider world. And the wider world is reacting to them as they interact with it. And it feels like, like, let's say the plot decided, they decided to make an alternate episode where the character went to a different house or met with a different character, that there could be like a fully fledged plot going on with them. I feel like every, the world feels full of people and all of them have feelings about the main cast and not like they all love the main cast. They all just have like, if the character asked for like a, a cantaloupe, the, the shopkeeper would give them a cantaloupe and then like shoot the shit with them and talk about, you know, the events of the day. And they might have different opinions than the main characters would have. It feels like it's it's they do a good job of creating a world that feels full of different people and different personalities. And they all the people that live on that island still like adhere to the general like themes of the show. They're outcasts or they're mercenaries or they're like, you know, lesser, lesser, uh, highly regarded members of society and stuff. It feels like it's all all the characters that populate the show fit with the themes of the show. And they also all have their own like shit going on. And if you walked and walked up to them and talked to them, they'd say, oh, I have this going on that has nothing to do with you main character guys. I have my own, you know, plot and feelings and character development and stuff. I think it's a pretty well-realized, like, world that they've created full of interesting characters. I think that when... I think their name is Grin, right? I like in Cowboy Bebop when characters do go out of their way to talk to another individual. Mm-hmm. They're all looking for something, and it turns into something that reveals more about the world. Yeah, I think that's a good aspect, too. Like, I think that's a, a good thing I didn't I didn't say that you bring up. I think for good world building, I think characters who are not the main cast, having their own motivations and own, like, 
you know, personalities that have nothing to do with what the character, the main characters want is really important because it makes it feel lived in. It's like, I am not the center of the universe. I am just a piece of the universe. And if I talk to someone who isn't me or my close friends who have the same goals, they'll have their own goals and their own like motivations. And if I want to interact with them and get something out of them, we have to like align those goals and motivations or we have to bargain or something or, you know, that definitely makes it feel more real and more lived in that people have their own, people have their own lives and are not just you. Yeah, it would be a start to have callbacks, references, or even allude to anything. Yes. Because I mean, it's, it's the same thing with D&D. Uh, it's, it's generally, I think, bad D&D writing, you know, when you're playing a game, to have your characters walk into town and everyone loves you and wants to give you everything that you want. Or they're neutral to you and then are immediately like, okay, uh, I'll help you with your quest or your, your motivation is this. That's generally, to me, bad story writing. Uh, it's much better to have characters who you have to either win over or you have to interact with their, you know, shit or something before they get to your shit. Another real life example, like when you're learning to talk to people and be a good conversationalist. Right. Say you're on a date with a girl and she'll be like, oh, I really like this necklace. My aunt gave it to me and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then to someone that is boring themselves or like, shallowly engaging with someone they will say oh this dumb girl is only talking about a piece of jewelry but it's like you got something across you know the ocean and your family member like lives in venice like italy are you a like there's like 12 interesting things you could branch off from that wait are you giving and, me risk, risk training right no now? but you know what i mean right <laughs> well no then then the wind blows and her skirt flies up. And then I, I can look at that for a little while. So I don't have to listen to about this stupid necklace anymore. Yeah, then you're trying to go outside <laughs> and have a break. And then some dumb bitch walks out and falls asleep on you. That's how my no. that's how real life works for me. So, you know, where like you actually have to yeah, do work. Totally. Yeah, you have to put a little bit of effort into understanding that you are not the you other people are not you. I mean, that is what world building is, is differentiating the main plot cast from the world. That is world building, I think, in, the, in a very basic sense. <laughs> so, at, I guess, I'm I don't know how to word the question, but there's a different type of storytelling one could do, I assume, where they mm -hmm. actually require you to be an engaged reader. Mm -hmm. Could you think of an example of that, or give a better... Um, sentence than i did uh i don't know in reference to what is there like a manga or a book or a movie that would want you to be a little bit more engaged with the subject matter and actually understand what's happening mm, versus like 11 eyes where you can just like turn your brain off and watch the titties bounce in front of you yeah and i don't mean homework like the dune movie where it's like oh just watch the dune movie like, read the book before you watch the movie. I mean, like, mm -hmm. something well, on its own, acting on its own. Like, I mean, Ghost in the Shell is an example where it's like... I was going to say, just based on things we've watched already, I mean, I think do ra 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 is a good example of that. Because it's not like you have to do homework, but you have, you're rewarded for paying attention to, like, what other characters are up to that are not, like, the main people on screen at the time. And everyone in the show has, like, a different thing going on, and it's... It's interesting because of how the show, the plot weaves together everyone's motivations until there are like these like inf like points where everyone converges and then everyone's motivations all have to like kind of get, you know, figured out at that same point. 
Um, I mean, there's there's so many examples of just like good writing in in shows or movies or books and stuff. But I think just I mean, Durarara is a really simple and easy one to point to since we've already talked about it, and it's it's semi it's not super complicated, but it's you know you're I think you're rewarded generally for paying attention and like seeing what other what the whole world is up to and taking it all in and not just focusing in on the main character and what they you know are doing or something. I like to use that guy as a go-to example because um, he wrote the Yonder. light novels for Bleach. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He cleaned up what I thought was pretty bad writing towards the end of it in a spectacular mm-hmm. way. Yeah, so, I think that, that he's a, that writer is is quite talented at, at making a world full of people feel like everyone has their own thing going on, and then when they all get together, it's about you know. Uh, how you manage everyone's different expectations and motivations and stuff at a moment of conflict or something. There is another good example that is a little more obscure, but the guy that did Chojin X in Tokyo Ghoul wrote mm-hmm. a one-shot for Isoka's backstory in Hunter Hunter. Really? It's very good. Uh-oh. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Tagashi read it and was like, yeah, this is basically canon. So. Oh, so he talked about your favorite character in Hunter Hunter. If you could choose somebody, you don't have to know their name or anything. You like they could just be the director of an anime or whatever. Yeah. To fix eleven eyes. Oh boy. Who would who would you try and get to fix eleven eyes? What could be done to fix eleven eyes? That's a really good question. Um give me a minute because I honestly I don't fucking know how you would do that. Uh I mean I'm sure the Dura guy can make it watchable. Uh <laughs> maybe uh okay here's my simple answer take the guy who did doki doki literature club and let him have a whack at it sure uh i the reason i say that is because i think 11 eyes has almost no redeeming qualities so the best thing that you could do is turn it into like a psychological satire that presents itself one way and then ends up being something else and i'm actually this actually brings up a point um the reason that 11 eyes was on the wheel at all and the way that I found it is because I was looking up, uh, <laughs> I was just scrolling through anime because I was looking for anime to show to my girlfriend because uh, she is very hard to find anime that she like to pick out for her to watch that she will enjoy. And I was going down a list of horror anime. It was like, you know, a hundred horror anime uh, ranked or whatever. And like Eleven Eyes was in that. I don't, I don't, I, I, I was, I'm actually trying to find the list that I was looking at, but I can't find where that list was now. But, uh, wherever it was it was very poorly rated and i was like i just like put a little bookmark in my head of like a really shitty show i can check out sometime but it was under the horror tag and i don't think this show is really under like really fits into the horror tag at all there's a couple of moments of gore and like edginess and the show overall is about like you know big shitty horrible things happening to the world but the really only thing that i would say that the the way the only way you could fit this into the horror genre is that there's a red filter over the screen a bunch of times so it looks scary so, uh, I think the best thing you could do is give the Doki Doki Literature Club guy a whack at turning this into an actual horror piece of horror fiction uh, that uses the same tricks that Doki Doki does. I uh, think that's, that's fair, yeah. Because <laughs> I can't see... The amount of work that the do-ra-ra-ra guy would have to put in to make this like passable, I just don't think it would be fair <laughs> to anyone to, to be forced to try and make this a good piece of media. So, if you work with what's already there and instead just like try and flip it on its head more and turn it more into a psychological horror satire of the genre sort of thing, I think you'd get much closer to, you'd have to put a lot less work in 
relative to how bad the thing is to make it like consumable in some way. I think that because he could take bleach when Kubo was handing in seven page <laughs> like chapters with no backgrounds or dialogue, <laughs> and like the writing made zero sense even for bleach. Yeah, I literally think he could do it. If you're like, you don't even have to write three novels. Like, turn this into a 100 page light novel that is okay. Yeah, I guarantee he could do it. I swear. I mean, just turn this into a fake property and give it the the artists from the Titan Moon people. Have them just redo it with better art, <laughs> and they just slap it on there and call it a day. Fate stay eleven eyes. Four Chan itself made a better visual novel, probably. So you know what? Actually, just hire Four Chan. Yeah. Just like post a thread and like say we've fixed the eleven eyes. Yeah, I think that's actually the fastest and least uh, time-consuming and effort-consuming way to do that. Honestly, I empathize a little more with the writer's strike now because if this is the alternative, I'm waiting. Mm. Writing know. is hard. Writing is hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I I like just didn't really pay attention to it. Then I watched this and like something else bad recently and I was like, maybe we should just like let the good writers do more stuff probably. Maybe hire maybe give the writers some money if they do something good and don't just like step on them and throw them in the garbage can. <laughs> yeah, maybe stop stepping on the writers and putting out cigarettes on their fucking arms. Yeah, because writing is hard sometimes, guys. <laughs> sometimes when you don't do good at writing, you get 11 eyes, and nobody wants that. So maybe have some good writers involved. Are there any other important aspects to storytelling besides power system, world building, character development that you can think of? Or... I mean, we didn't really touch on character development, but there isn't any in this. <laughs> Yeah, I literally can't give an example of character it's, development. Uh, well, uh, you could get more of becomes more of a crazy bitch the longer the show goes on. But she didn't have yeah. a character to begin with, so it's kind of like she got a character. She got a <laughs> she received a character, but only three quarters of the show, and that character was crazy bitch who takes her clothes off. I'll be honest. I actually think that yeah, she devolves from like NPC to like actual psychotic weirdo. Yeah, she goes from blank-faced NPC with no personality to crazy bitch who gets naked and makes a funny face when she realizes that the main character banged somebody else. Okay, but you then you... All right, one more compliment for the show. I laughed a lot when she found out that the main character banged somebody else because the face she makes is so funny. <laughs> you also see her as a kid, though, and she's still obsessive and crazy. Yeah, so it kind of wasn't character development. It was sort of just like we didn't see any character for a little bit. And then they had reintroduced the character that was already there. Yeah, yeah I guess development, there is none. There are no, the char no characters change at all <laughs> from how we meet them initially. Uh, except when a character secretly had something going on with them that we didn't know about, but was already there. Yeah, I mean, the only other instance I could think of is, like, Sword Girl, but I don't know if she, like, progressed at all. I mean, Sword Girl just realized that she loved the main character. That's not character progression, in my opinion. Yeah, she... Her arrogant personality that made her stand out was vanished, and she, yeah. became, she became vulnerable only for MC to fuck her, bone. basically. Yeah, to bone. Uh, yeah, to so that's... Boom. Essentially, there's only character, like, regression. There was no character progression. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, though, because that actually is a good point. Character building, it's not character building to have a character have a hidden personality that then they just surprise you with later, in my opinion. 
because that character was already there and that hidden aspect of them was just not shown to us the audience until they decided to show it to us that's that's something else i think really it doesn't qualify as character ability to me or character progression to me um yeah i don't know there's there i mean this show doesn't really do anything that i could call like a, a quality that i would ascribe to storytelling in a positive way so it's hard to come up with other aspects of storytelling because there aren't any in this um yeah i'm kind of drawing a blank i'd have to like think about things pieces of media that i do like just to come up with things that this show doesn't have i guess we can move on to the plot unless you have something else to talk about i had well no i already said my one small compliment i liked when uh dumb naked chick found out someone else was getting banged instead of her. That was very funny to me. We've we've done like three compliments and they're all throwaway gags basically. Yeah, but that's all, those are the only moments of joy I got from watching this. <laughs> so, yeah. They're not these these are not jokes that I'm saying because uh, like just to say a joke. I'm saying these are actual moments of joy that I got which were very minuscule. <laughs> I guess we could run over it real quick as we normally do it. Animation soundtrack any uh, thoughts or okay animation another small point of uh positivity animation is absolute fucking garbage and it made me laugh <laughs> okay soundtrack uh i didn't even notice the soundtrack you said that there was a time when a song was playing for like 20 minutes the entire like almost the entire episode and it was just like a butt rock like background i didn't even notice that yeah there was a song that plays towards the end i think where they're on the rooftop for like yeah. Five to six minutes or something yeah. like that. And it's just like repetitive guitar or something or other. Yeah. It's just a, like pretty jarring. Or it maybe it just felt that long. Uh no, but... I think you're probably right. I just I it like went right over my head. I didn't pay attention to the music, I think, at all in this show. Except for the opening. I think the opening might be the best part of the show, is the opening. <laughs> I feel like this show also had the most egregious editing I've ever seen. Mm, where very poor. I felt like it was the Tech Kubo meme of like where he tells Kentaro Miura to remove the background and just write the heart in between <laughs> Guts and Griffin. But like the entire thing, it has these like very pseudo artistic edits right when anything is about to happen. Yeah, you know, is this we talked about this. It's the same Dead Man Wonderland purple filter over the screen when something like crazy happens. That happens a bunch of times in the show. Um Honestly, I had some hope on the first episode because it was so, like, weird and, like, the hallucinatory editing and stuff made it feel like it was going to be a show that was much more surreal than it actually was, you know? There was, like, the breaking glass effect and the red sky and all the weird, like, gloopy monsters popping out of the ground. All that stuff, when you see it for the first time in the first episode, I mean, I guess we'll talk about that shortly, it, it made me think, oh, this is going to be, like, a little bit more surreal and the editing is artistic. But then I was like, wait, no, it's just a crutch because they keep doing it and they have no other tools in their, under their belt. It's just like break glass on the screen, have some weird red shit like plop around, have purple wipes over the screen when something weird happens. And it's very formulaic once you get past the first episode. Yeah, there's a couple of different ones, but the one they really like to do is they have like a Stone Cold Steve Austin glass shatter effect. <laughs> yeah, it is very, it's very much like break the walls down uh now the episode's getting serious it's it's also just like weird because the one of the aspects of the show is that this can happen at any moment they can just be walking and then suddenly stone cold kicks the door in and throws a beer at their head so it's not like there's any way of really like 
establishing like a baseline for what's normal in the show. It just kind of randomly pops in that this the glass break the glass breaking sound effect happens and Stone Cold starts walking down the the aisle. I do find it fascinating because, like, I could predict all the editing and you could too, and then you could also predict the fan service. So yeah, that while was everything really is very schizophrenic and random, you also could simultaneously expect 99% of it because it was all within the realms of uh, expectation. Yeah, it's it's very, very cookie cutter, except that what's happening is like bonkers and off the wall stupid. But like the actual framework of the show is super like by the numbers, cookie cutter generic. It's like, okay, a certain X amount of time has passed and we haven't seen titties. Like within the next five seconds, I expect there's gonna be something bouncing or wind or something happens. And I'm right, like every time. Uh, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, we've gone two episodes without the glass breaking. I guess it's time to break the glass. Let's go to like, you know, Funko Town and start killing like zombies and stuff. Funko Town. <laughs> I said Funko Town, but we can call it Funko Town. Yeah, <laughs> Funko. They are like killing Funko Pops at one point in the show. They're like weird, like Funko Pop shaped, like blob monsters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, I guess we can recap now. There's nothing else to say. I can't. Yeah. I, I think it's, I'm surprised we had this much to say, but I kind of knew that once you get into it, there's so many problems that it's interesting to like tear it all down to its basic parts. But yeah, I think that's it for me in terms of. I like the things. intro. I like the outro. Yeah, uh, outros. I, I kind of mostly just ignored the outro, but the intro is pretty good. I thought the song was decent. The animation, the only time the animation budget was ever spent was in, uh, in the opening, I think. More action happens in the opening than the yes. entirety of the show. The opening is more action-packed than actual moments when characters are being killed in the show. Um, yeah, I just... There is one funny thing about the outro, I think, where, like, mm -hmm. the song feels like it goes a little too long, and then, like, a guy just puts alien sound effects over it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, I was curious about why all the opening credits were in Polish. Do you have an answer for me? <laughs> Well, on Wikipedia, oh, if you go to Wikipedia and you look at... Well, I don't have an answer, but I'm telling you something. Yes. If you go to the episode titles, yes. they have Red Knight, then the Japanese name, and then they have the like weird whatever language it's in next to now, that. I, <laughs> maybe Polish is a made-up language, so I don't know. But they kept talking about this other country that was like a fake made-up country that wasn't Poland. Uh, multiple characters talk in this made-up language. And one character is from, like, Fake Landia or whatever it's called. What was it called? Like, Van, Van, Van Sylvania or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's like a ripoff of uh, it's, Vampire one character, Yeah, one character is from, like, a generic Eastern European country that is vaguely vampiric sounding. And maybe that's what the whole point of having these opening credits that are, I mean, opening title crawls that are in Polish or something. It's supposed to be like, hey, one of the characters is kind of like a vampire from Eastern Europe. But Google Translate says Hungarian. Oh, Hungarian. Okay. Yeah, there's going to be some Hungarian vampires out there. I could get down with that. Let me look up. <laughs> Eleven is Hungarian. Yeah, is this like is this show like a super hit in Hungary or something? Hmm. Is Hungarian supposed to be the native tongue of Transylvania? You tell me. I don't fucking know. Time for a little Googling. They speak Romanian in Transylvania. Official language is Romanian. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, what did they speak in, like... I mean, it would have been Romanian, I assume, but in, like, the 1600s or something? 
Well, let me just consult my textbook of Eastern European languages here. I don't fucking know. I don't know. <laughs> the principality continued to be part of the lands of the Hungarian crown and was a symbol of the survival of the Hungarian state. Oh, okay. Here, I'm seeing Hungarian is about 20, 22-23% of the language spoken in Transylvania. So, the Hasberg people, of you know, were, like, very huge historical figures. So, my assumption is they, like, read the history book and were, like, I guess they speak Hungarian there. Yeah, I think they did about as much work on that as they did on anything else in the show. So, I could totally give them that. All right, question oh, wait. <laughs> Here's another question to answer. Do you know why this show is called Eleven Eyes? No. Because he's got a harem of like five chicks and himself, and he only has one eye. So that's is ten that eyes true? plus one. I don't know. I made that up. I, I actually think that was pretty good. I'm pretty sure that's it, because he's got five bitches on his arm. They all have two eyes, and he's only got one. So that's ten plus one. He's got eleven eyes in there. Boom. Asked and answered. Uh, I don't know if that's actually it, but I can't think of a better reason other than just like, Japanese anime pick stupid name for a show. The made up country is called Drasuvania. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I had one other thing to say, but now I forgot it because we got lost in the sauce with the. Uh... What was it related to? It doesn't fucking matter. This show's bad. <laughs> I'm so curious now. Uh, I had one other interesting tidbit. Um, Did oh, you want to talk I, about the visual novel itself, or was that uh, what it was? No, that was that wasn't it. it. This actually was just kind of an observation. Honestly, I would be like really happy to find out that this was like the number one hit anime in Hungary or something. That would be awesome because this show. I guess this is just a, a thing of my own. This is this is my own personality defect. Is when I find like I can't understand something, or I'm or I. Like, I, when I find that I can't find a deeper meaning into something, I assume there is one, but I can't, like, I, I think that, oh, I'm like, maybe I'm too dumb, or I'm missing something, or, you know, some aspect of me, there's a, there's a deficit that I have that is leading to me not being able to understand the, the deeper meaning behind something. And this show really gives me the feeling like, oh, I'm missing that this is like, this is making all these references to Eastern European culture or something that are just flying right over my head. And for some reason, this is like the number one hit show in like, you know, Hungary or something, because like all the Hungarian teens are like, oh, it speaks exactly to my experience in some way or another. Or there's like some Hungarian references I'm not getting. Like, I really feel like that is that I know that it's not true, really, given everything that I now understand about this show. But I very heavily get that feeling watching this show because I'm like, I'm missing. I feel like I'm missing so much because so little is given to me <laughs> so that I'm looking for deeper meaning when I don't really think there probably is any. I guess at this time, like most countries that would have regulated television basically had done it by then. Mm. So you're not going to get too many like oddball cases of like, like Greece illegally airing random anime or something from Russia or anything. I mean, Greece did illegally air Dragon Ball when I was a kid. And that's when I first was exposed to Dragon Ball. But that was when I was like three years old. So that was quite a long time ago. Yeah. So 2010 or whatever, most of the stuff is going to be regulated. Yes. But right. Yeah, it was unlikely that this would become a, a, a sleeper Hungarian hit somehow, in some weird way. I'm sure it is absurdly popular in some country. I mean, like... Oh, actually, no, that does bring up a point. We can talk about the visual novel very quickly, just so that I can say this. Uh, after we watched the show, I was trying to find some playthroughs of the visual novel. 
and I was having a very difficult time. I only just found one today after searching for a very long time in English, and the guy does a terrible job. It's he's playing the Japanese version and not reading the subtitles or not reading. I don't. He's not translating, so I'm just seeing the Japanese text boxes on everything, and he's not really providing much commentary. So it's a terrible playthrough because I don't know what the fuck's happening. But I found multiple playthroughs that are in Japanese. Obviously, in Japanese, there are some playthroughs. And I found multiple ones that are in Spanish on YouTube. So maybe this is like in some Spanish-speaking country, this is a, a popular visual novel or something. Uh, but those are the only playthroughs that I could find where there's actually someone talking about the game and playing the game. And in the Spanish playthroughs, it has the Spanish language in there. So it, if you were a Spanish-speaking person, you could follow along with the gameplay. I know that a lot of countries in South America obviously have like large cultures of piracy and stuff. Mm -hmm. I did notice a lot of uh, Portuguese subtitled things. So that mm -hmm. means like Brazil. And mm -hmm. I actually used to go on Turingo, which is like a like a Portuguese speaking uh, piracy site to download my anime and stuff. So there you go. Well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe it has some uh, this popular in South America or something. Uh, I, I really tried to find some like uh, legible English playthroughs, and I could not. The only playthrough that I found is really not watchable, mostly, unless this guy was just not talking for the first twenty minutes or something. But I was hoping that there would be a little bit more exposition about what's actually happening if the guy's going to play the Japanese version of the game and not talk, not tell me what's happening. Then it's not really followable. Have you ever played a visual novel, like, out of your own free will for fun? Uh, mm, uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think I've ever played one myself. I've, I've watched someone play a couple. Uh, I, had, I had a roommate who played them, and I watched him play one one time. Uh, obviously, it was not a porn uh, <laughs> visual novel. Uh, and I've watched, it, I've watched one or two. I've... I guess actually, you know what? This brings up an interesting point. I've watched a couple. I've watched a couple of visual novel playthroughs on YouTube, just because I was curious about like a particular one. Um, and I've watched a couple. Of, we've watched. I don't know if we've talked about one yet on this podcast, but I've watched a couple of anime that are based on visual novels. Um, and I, to give one last tiny compliment before we get into the recap, I will say that I liked. I think I like the presentation of this anime uh, presenting the multiple path element of visual novels more than most other animes that are adapting a visual novel directly. Uh, like with the, la you know, the last two episodes where it's, it's realized that the bad thing was like a, a you know, precognitive pre thing. And then yeah. the actual last episode happens. I'm assuming that that was like getting the bad ending in the visual novel when you were playing in the, in the prior episode when all the shit actually goes down. And I think I've watched Higurashi When They Cry, which is a very famous visual novel that was turned into a very weird and not very good anime, in my opinion. Is that and samurai stuff? No, it's like slice of life turned horror, uh, weird Japanese village shit. Okay. Um, and the way that the, sh the show does the different paths, quote unquote, in the anime, I don't like the way that it's really presented because it's sort of like, Every there's like I think it's 24 episodes, and then each path is just given like four or five episodes, and then the end of that arc ends, and you get to the end of that story, and then it just restarts from the beginning of the the you know where you'd restart the visual novel or whatever. Um, and I, it doesn't feel like it really 
it, it like the the separate arcs have no they don't speak to each other in any way so it's not communicated like when the when the show restart like i think it's episode five or six then after that episode it goes to episode seven and it's just like oh restart the show and there's no real reference to what just happened in the last six episodes and i understand why they did that because it's very hard to come up with an actual like uh plot relevant reason for why you're restarting everything and all the characters don't remember what just happened um but i find it kind of frustrating not having played the visual novel to be like oh all that shit i just watched doesn't matter and it it takes a very long time for everything that you've seen to actually have any relevance you're like on episode like 15 or 16 before there's any kind of like thing where oh this is fitting into a larger framework uh so i think that and maybe it was by accident that they did a good thing. But in Eleven Eyes, I like that they presented a, a separate story path in the visual novel as a actual plot thing. Like, the power of the character allowed him precognition that let him see a, the wrong path to take, and then he takes a separate path. And I think that's actually maybe the best time that I've seen that the, the framework of a visual novel presented in the anime adaptation as an actual thing that they're addressing and using to forward, they push forward the plot. So kudos to them on getting that aspect uh, done in a, a better way than I've seen done in most other shows that have visual novel elements to them and don't, you know, just like rewind whenever they want to rewind. My only real compliment, is, I think that is a good point. It doesn't feel like I'm, it didn't, it felt like a bad anime and not like a bad adaptation of a visual novel. I yeah, guess. I, I think that's my, that's a, that's an actual compliment that I can give. <laughs> Sure, I think that's like sincerely meaningful too that they did an actual transformative work. Yeah, I think when they did that, that was the only time when I went, "Wow, that was actually like kind of smart." Because at the end of that episode, when everything falls apart, I was like, "How the fuck are they gonna like get to one more episode?" And then they went, and I went, "Oh, this is actually like I'm seeing the bad ending." And then like, "Oh, let's see the ne- let's see the other ending and choose a different path." And like, "Oh, it actually feels like." This is the best way that I think you could come up with a way to adapt a visual novel and keep the framework of telling multiple stories with branching branching paths and stuff. So, like Fate Stay Night, I don't think they really even address it. Really, there's no there's no real like attempt to take parts of the visual novel and present branching paths as an element of the show. So, I think it makes Fate Stay Night as a story more cohesive, but it does not keep any of the parts that make it feel like a visual novel, in my opinion. So it doesn't really address its its adaptation, like the context of its adaptation, but it does do a good job of like just forming a story of an anime that tells one story. So I feel yeah, like this is a zero IQ question, but what makes a visual novel feel like a visual novel? In my opinion, it's having branching paths and having like being able to see a story from multiple characters' perspectives, depending on which character that you choose to follow or what decisions do you make. Otherwise, you're just reading a story, uh, which is fine. Uh, it's just like what makes a visual novel different than just a story is the, op- the option to choose different, you know, having different options and having different parts of the story play out depending on the different paths that you go down. Is Dengen Ropa a visual novel? Um, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I think it's just like a, a storytelling game. Because I like the, are there different uh, paths in Danganronpa? I don't think so. I just know there's like a lot of characters, so I figured yes. there was. I don't think Danganronpa I would call... Let me look it up. I don't know if it's qualified as a visual novel. Let's take a look. Um, No, I don't think... It, um, 
it the gameplay features a mix of adventure, visual novel, detective, and dating sim elements. So I think it, it has some elements of visual novel, but I wouldn't really call it like a straight up visual novel uh, because you you play the game, but the gameplay is like the parts that make it Danganronpa visual novel are the parts where you can choose which characters to talk to, but that doesn't really affect the overall um, like the actual plot of the game doesn't change that much, you know. Maybe I'm drawing distinctions that aren't actually there. But to me, personally, when I think of visual novel, I think of, like, being able to affect the story based on which paths that I go down. And I haven't played Danganronpa, but what I know of it mostly is that the plot stays relatively the same. And you just get different dialogues if you talk to different characters. But overall, what happens is mostly the same. Do you know the video game Heavy Rain? I, I know of it, yeah. We're it's from like the memes. a movie video game. Yeah, it, I guess it's more like, yeah, Heavy Rain's more like on rails, I guess, right? Yeah, would that be a visual novel? <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe the, the genre is wider than I'm, I'm drawing the distinctions for. Sure. Um, so I guess, I, I mean, I guess if, if, if you qualify a visual novel just as like a story that you watch, then yeah, I guess all of this stuff is visual novel. But I tend to think the interactive element and the multiple branching story path, like lines and stuff is what makes it to me feel like a visual novel. I might be uh, pull, like, you know, cut, like splitting hairs more than people who play visual novels. I'm sure there's people screaming at me who like, you know, who actually play visual novels and have, you know, different opinions and whatever. But uh, this is a subjective feeling. When I draw a distinction between stuff like light novels, like, a, like a reading a book essentially, or an interactive video game or a visual novel, or a walking simulator, you know, stuff like on rails and stuff. Generally, what I file under as a visual novel is stuff where when I choose a different dialogue option, I can find a different storyline to go down. And then there's branching paths and stuff. Yeah, I guess that there is probably some line where you cross from video game that is one large cutscene, like uh, the egregious Metal Gear Solid or something, mm. or that game where you would, like, deliver packages or whatever, mm. and then you eventually get to, like, what is essentially a PowerPoint slideshow with RPG elements, and right. I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, well, maybe, like, you know video game... would be that game. Do you know that game, Catherine? Yes. I mean, that's sort of, like, you, you, break enough blocks, then you get a cutscene. You break some more blocks, you get another cutscene. It's sort of like you get gameplay in between some cutscenes, but those cutscenes are really what the whole story is about, and you're mostly just like clicking on blocks until you get more cutscene and more story. Like, I wouldn't call that, that I wouldn't call Catherine a visual novel, really, because you're just kind of following along until you play enough of the game to get more of the story told to you. So, I mean, and this is this is kind of subjective, but that's like I think that there has to be an element of narrative branching for it to be classified to me as a visual novel. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that people would say like text has to be involved. I, I would assume that's like a requirement, but like yeah, if yeah. not, and we're being like a you know, having like a more less than like surf like that's just like part of the medium inherently almost. So like besides mm -hmm. that like, what could be a visual novel? I guess it's yeah. an interesting discussion. Yeah, I think so. I think, and I think that people will disagree with my, my opinion, but that, that is my opinion, is that if it's just a game that you read and the same thing, like, 
For example, you wouldn't call it a choose your own adventure book if the same story played out no matter which choice that you made, right? Yeah. Although maybe, I mean, it would be interesting if you chose different choices and you kept getting the same story in a choose your own adventure novel. But honestly, I think like that, that would be like a different kind of story that you'd be telling. There's only the, there's only the illusion of it having an effect on how the story plays out. But I, I think of choose your own adventure stories as the book parallel to a visual novel in terms of like a video game. You know, it has to be one where you can get like different things to happen if you choose different choices that you're presented. Um, yeah, it doesn't like everything else wonder, just doesn't count. Like if I made Yakuza with branching paths and it had all those long Yakuza cutscenes and all sure. the like little meaningless things, like yeah. that'd be a visual novel, even though you get to fight people and stuff. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be closer to a visual novel. I mean, I don't know what the name for that is because I don't know. An I'm RPG? not a video game. Yeah, I guess it's just a, an RPG. <laughs> but That's I mean, a lot an of, RPG. <laughs> but a lot of RPGs have the same thing elements, like Final Fantasy VII. You know, the same story happens no matter what choices you choose. Um, so it's interesting that there could be a game where you have a different, a t- totally different story paths depending on which one you go down. But you're playing more of a game than you're actually reading text boxes and stuff. But D and D is the definition of a role playing game. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, if you're going by RPG, not video game JRPG sort of thing, yeah, role playing game like D and D, definitely, yeah. But when you're playing a good one, <laughs> uh, it it's it's there's at least the feeling that different things are happening as you interact with different parts of the story. So that would make visual novels interesting because, like, if we're you know not directly, but maybe directly comparing them to a D&D game or, se- or something like that, it would be a directly collaborative work or something where, like, your decisions meaningfully impact the story. Mm. Well, obviously, the, mean- the meaningful element is doing a lot of heavy lifting because visual novels are complete before you start playing them, whereas D&D I... is told as you play it. I think a lot of people want DMs to hold their hand and they enjoy mm. that kind of thing though, at the same time. Well, part of what happens with D&D is you, you are not supposed to know how much the, the DM has presented behind the screen. That's why there's a screen to separate you, is that part of the... I mean, some games don't play with a screen, but the idea generally is that the story that you're interacting with, you don't know whether or not it's all on rails or not, and hopefully you don't feel like you're on rails the whole time. You know, Obviously, a DM could write the entire story before you even get to it, and you're just walking down a path, and they're doing their best to obscure the fact that you're walking down one chosen path for you. But uh, when a DM does a good job, I mean, the idea is that that is seamless, so you don't feel like you're being railroaded in one particular direction. Wouldn't that theoretically be the point of a visual novel, too, unless, like, you explicitly had spoilers prior or something? Sure, but the visual novel, you can't... I mean, there's sort of just the logical reality of the visual novel is a purchased, finished product, whereas the D&D, hopefully you're not shown that it's a finished product. The story's already finished before you get to the end of it. Um, but if you are willing to like suspend your disbelief and you come over to the story, then yes, you're right. You're right. If you, if you disregard the like, you know, mundane, literal existence of this thing that you bought to play, then yes. Uh, the idea is that when a visual novel is well done, you feel immersed enough that you are feeling like your choices matter and you are getting different results based on them. I think it would be equivalent to buying a good D&D campaign off Etsy and following it to the T and enjoying yeah, it with your friends. I agree. The main um, break for me is that 
when you're in a visual novel, you can only program so much with your clicking. Yes. Where in D&D, I can be a whatever random combination of things I could be within the limitations of the world. And you can have a fire sword. And think about how that could change things. All right, moving on to the plot <laughs> recap. Would you like to start us off? Oh my god, this these plot re- recaps, by the way, are very long. So I'm going to try and speed through these as much as I can. I think you do a very good job at reading them as they are presented and adding context or notable moments. All right, I'm going to do my best. Uh, I will say before we start these recaps, these were painful episodes to get through. And a lot of what is being said here is stuff that like was not really obvious from this from the way that the story was presented <laughs> just skimming over what's in these recaps i know for a fact like our eyes were glazing over and i was like making fun of the show for just like random shit trying to like stay sane while way more text in this like recap was being presented than actually was being shown on screen anyways let's start i believe in you episode one red knight after witnessing his sister's suicide kakaru satsuki lives the remainder of his childhood in an orphanage where he meets a young girl named Yuka Minase, Minase? who becomes his first friend. Um, just right, right from the start, the witnessing the sister's suicide and all the shit that happened to this, it's really like abstractly told. So you kind of have no fucking clue what you were being shown in that first scene of the show. Uh, it takes some like reading between the lines to kind of know what's going on there. Uh, anyway, Yuka helps Kakeru open up to the world again and they attend high school at Rainbow High together, along with two new friends, the slightly, in quotes to me, perverted Tadashi Teruya, and the hot-headed Kaori Natsuki, who keeps Tadashi under control. Uh, she mainly just beats him until he stops, like, uh, trying to flip people's skirts up and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the ordinary days they have come to expect are overturned when they are thrown into an alternate world, which they call Red Knight, due to the sky turning blood red and the moon turning black. Uh, <laughs> they... Uh, are just wandering around as generic NPC high schoolers, and they go to the mall and touch hands, and then suddenly shit, the, break, the glass breaks, and Steve Austin comes out and starts screaming, and they all run away. Uh, in it, everyone has disappeared, and they are pursued by nightmarish creatures bent on their death. However, as quick as it appeared, the Red Knight mysteriously ends. Both are left unsure if their experience was simply their imagination, which, like, unlikely. As they walk to school together, Kakeru reflects on how Yuka had always taking care of him, and vows to protect her if the Red Knight ever happens again. Let Later me that... stop you for a second, right? Yes. Do they get knocked out? Because when they wake up, they're just back awake, right? Uh, I don't think they get knocked out. They just, like, st- stand around and go, ah! Until, like, the I... Red Knight is over. I feel like the actual mechanics of when it happens or whatever is so nonsensical, even from It's the really, really random. The way that the Red Knight starts is they touch their hands while standing on a bridge, and then they both scream out in pain. Kakaru's eyeball, like, explodes, and Yuka's just going, and then everything turns red. And then they run around screaming for a little while while, like, Blob, Funko Pop Blobman chase them around, and then the Red Knight is over. I don't remember exactly how it ends, to be honest. It just sort of is over. Uh, I, think, I don't think they pass out and wake up. I think what happens is they just, like, are, like, huddled on the ground, and then, like, a random lady comes over and says, ah, and like attacks the blobs and then the Red Knight's over. I don't remember. Honestly, I'd have to watch it again, which I don't want to do <laughs> to, to find out exactly. It's not really relevant, though. It doesn't matter. That's where Samurai Girl is first seen, right? Uh, I think so. It's either the first Red Knight or the second Red Knight where Samurai Girl pops in. 
Yeah, it just goes to show you that, like, literally, when we are introduced to the main concept of the show, it makes no sense from the jump. Right from the start. And what's also crazy is that, like, they didn't need to take us to the Red Knight a second time to start the plot. They could have just kept us in the Red Knight and continued the plot until the plot-relevant shit happens. There's, like, a whole thing where, like, oh, fuck, that was weird. All right, let's go about our day for, like, a whole other episode, and then we'll go back, and then we start the plot. I, I just feel like it's, like, it's wasting time at this point. And there's no time yeah. to waste because so little happens in this, in this show and they spend episodes where nothing happens. They shouldn't be wasting time padding it out with nothing. Yeah, I would have much preferred if, like, they ran around a corner because they were, like, running for their lives. And they're like, wait, why is there no one around us? But then they would have to animate actual civilians. So. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. that it's like It feels like this is all just so that they could not draw more people on the street. They were like, thank, oh, God, thank God the Red Knight happened because we would have had to draw like 10 more characters on the street walking. <laughs> but it's also funny because eventually at a certain point they start walking down the street and there just are no people ever. There's no one ever. So it's like, I think the first episode has the most number of NPCs <laughs> just like wandering around. I think early on, isn't there a teacher character and like actual students and you never see them again, even in classroom yes. settings? Yes. There's a teacher who has like one voice line, which is like, hey, this is the character. Here's another character. Oh, we're actually going to get to that. Let's continue. Later that same day, a queer new student named Shiori Momono transfers into their class. She's not queer-coded in this. She is just a strange new student. Uh, transfers into their class after having moved to Japan from Italy. Um, as the other students pepper her with questions, she announces that she has no interest in them and walks towards Yuka and Kakaru instead. The moment Yuka makes eye contact, however, she faints and is carried to the infirmary by Kakaru. The doctor questions Yuka about his... <laughs> the doctor is introduced. The doctor questions Yuka about his covered right eye after he leaves. To which Yuka explains that Kakaru can't see through that eye, and they are both different colored, so he wears an eye patch. I don't really understand why, but whatever. After school, the duo go to the mall, where they are watched over by a strange girl, resembling Kakaru's sister, who is in turn watched over by Shiori. Okay, this, there's so much happens here that's so funny. Uh, so a uh, little strange Italian girl shows up, um, and it's funny because it, she's just like a purple-haired anime bitch. It doesn't like matter. Uh, but she carries like a book with Latin on the cover, so that's how you know she's Italian. <laughs> My first experience with not understanding like uh, that, like the anime logic, was when I watched Evangelion when I was like ten, uh -huh. and Ray or whatever the other girl's name are from like wildly different countries, and I was like, yeah, they all kind of look the same. <laughs> right. All generic anime girl number three, four, five. How how is she the German one? <laughs> they all look like Grimes. Also, she has red hair. Where is she? How is she just like? I don't know. She's pale with red hair, so I'd be more inclined to believe that she's Irish than anything. Not to Makes put people no not to put people in a box, but it's just like Japan view of the world is just like purple hair equals Italian. <laughs> this is also the beginning of the nonsensical like random referencing countries and stuff too oh yeah right it just starts with italy and then all these other countries start getting referenced in the show but yeah so she is a generic anime girl with purple hair she's from italy one thing i thought was very funny is that as they started saying they were italian i was like oh maybe the beret and i was like wait no everyone's wearing a stupid beret the the outfits that the girls wear in the show all the guys just wear generic like school suit like school uniform number 534 the girls are wearing like cocktail waitress like corsets with berets on and their skirts are like up under their asses essentially it's they're crazy outfits the girls are wearing not that i did 
like that they just don't even try to hide it. I mean, they're wearing oh, yeah. corsets and like they're sleazy wearing outfits. And sleazy outfits. They're titty, they have big titty windows that are popping out. It's and it's so funny because the the wind thing that I talked about happens in, first the first time the wind blows up a girl's skirt in this show, it's like her skirt is already like hiked up over her like hips. So the wind doesn't do anything. It's funny that the girl gets embarrassed that the wind blows her skirt up because the skirt is already so high that like the the main character, Kakaru, is laying on the ground already looking up at the sky. She walks over to him. His head is under her ass and he is staring directly up her skirt without even trying. He's not, he's not, uh, the main character is not like a horny guy. He's not, he's like a disaffected, cool, edgy guy. He's not trying to look up his, her skirt. It's just that her ass is completely in his face, whether the wind is helping or not. It's out there. The wind has nothing to do with it. So it's very funny the wind is constantly blowing girls' skirts up because their asses are out. <laughs> and we'll get into this, but there is a even more egregious example than the wind. Yes, there are many egregious examples. But you oh, know which one I'm talking about. Uh, the ass being torn out of her pants? Yes. <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, the doctor also, we meet the doctor like five minutes into the show, and her titties bounce as he opens the door. And she isn't moving. She is standing still as the titties bounce up and down as you are introduced to the character. It's very, very funny to me. That part it's like if you were testing the jiggle physics in a video game. Right. Someone took her character in the in the character creator and spun her really fast while she stood still. That's kind of like what's happening here. <laughs> um, what else happened? Oh, the only other thing that I thought was very funny is that at the end of the show, when <laughs> they are having going about their daily life and a girl is mysteriously watching them, which is a funny trope because it's just so stupid. How is she over there just watching them? And then behind her is someone watching the person watching them. It's so funny. They do this multiple times in the show where you go, oh, yeah, there's a stupid anime trope. And then they go, wait, but what if there's one more person doing the trope behind them? <laughs> See, I find this fascinating. But like when I think of what a visual novel would be, there's going to be situations where like. It almost mirror like a bad visual novel almost mirrors like all my children are like one of those sitcoms. Right. Well, yeah, like, like a soap opera style thing. A guy will randomly walk in and it's like, wait, why are there four people all uniquely in this one room? Yeah, it really does feel like a bad soap opera like drama. You're right. Yeah, Days of Our Lives or something where the guy is secretly watching out the window. But also there's a guy in his truck with binoculars looking at the street, watching the guy watching through the window. It's like WWE where like they're like, <laughs> like Christian will be reading a magazine on the couch while Edge and Leader are having sex and like Kane walks in. Yeah. And then like really three other guys like pop their head into the door. Yeah, then Undertaker pops up from under the table. He, like, does the Undertaker sit-up. <laughs> like actual Scooby-Doo tears. Yeah, it's really Scooby-Doo-esque, like, aspect at this point. Because it's just, it's, like, already it's, like, goofy soap opera shit to have his, like, a girl who looks like his dead sister watching them mysteriously. But then also one extra element of having the Italian purple hair, hair girl holding her Latin textbook also watching the girl watching them. It's so silly. Anyways, we'll move on to the next episode. There's nothing to this episode, really. Nothing makes any sense, and you're just confused, and then they wander around the mall. Uh, episode it, two. It kind of just sets you up for how ridiculous the rest of the show will be. Yeah. Episode two, Maiden of the Crystal Palace. Kakaru and Yuka are thrown back into the Red Knight dimension again. This episode starts, which is like, oh shit, we fell into the Red Knight dimension while we were at the mall, and there was no prior warning. So the glass breaks, and boop, we're in the mall again. We're in, in Ghost Evil Ghost Mall with Funko Pop guys around us. And the first, the, the first, I think 0.5 seconds of the show, as the, this episode starts, 
you are staring at Yuka's ass being torn out of the back of her skirt. Like there's a big rip in the back of her skirt and just her butt is showing. And I'm like, so it, it, it doesn't make sense because I don't know when her, when did, was there time for the ass to get torn out of the back of her pants? She just has a tear in her butt and we don't know where that came from. She was walking around the mall with Kakaru, goofing around, like rubbing her tits on him. And then the maiden, the episode starts and her, the ass is torn out of her, the back of her pants. Did she do that herself? Was she at the mall and was like, oh my God, this is going to work. Uh, he's going to see the back of my butt has been torn out of my skirt and things are going to get, you know, developed from there. I think she did it. That's actually my, my, my theory is that she tore the back of her pants. <laughs> I brought this up and it's kind of funny because like, I didn't even realize, like, of course, they're not going to draw other people. Right. But I'm like, even in, you know, whatever, like the most archaic view of Japan, you can have someone would stop this girl and be like, Hey, young lady, your skirt is ripped. Or oh, yeah. She walks the rest of this episode when they're in the real world. She walks around with the back of her like skirt torn open and just her underwear is, is all that is back there. And then there's the front of her skirt. <laughs> it's so funny. And people there are there are people in the world walking around like NPCs wandering around looking at these two girls. There's a, a weird looking guy and then a girl with her ass out, like standing walking next to him. There's a 12-year-old with an eye patch and another 12-year-old with, like, a ripped-up skirt, like, wearing yeah. a Lolita dress. It's it's so stupid. It's just so funny that the immediate... The, the, the episode opens with a shot of her butt, essentially, and you don't know why that is there. Anyway. I don't get why anyone would also, like, teenage boy aside, like, I don't get why anyone would find this character attractive. Uh, who? Kakaru? The hottest MC? No, the girl's like has the IQ of Shiro uh, oh. <laughs> from Dead Man Wonderland. Yes, yeah, and then hero. like turns into like crazy ex girlfriend like two thousand eight meme. Uh, well, my theory is that the main character is just like, all right, I'll keep this, I'll keep this like crazy bitch in line. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't mean to be derogatory by saying that, but this show has a very poor view of the characters of the female characters. I think. Uh, and I, I definitely think that there is essentially she is an airhead who turns evil. And I think the main character is like, all right, I'll give her a kiss to keep her in line <laughs> because she's going to go fucking nuts if I don't like give her some attention. She doesn't have like BPD or she's not like a quirky tsundere or whatever. She is like actually a serial killer. To your yeah, crazy. She, she is a horny serial killer. Yeah, she would like bash in all your windows and like steal your dog or something if you broke up bare minimum. But she would be smiling at you the whole time. Yeah, if and, she, if and you her took her back, would, she would like give you your dog back, maybe. Yeah, and her skirt would be torn up, like torn open the whole time too. Anyways, <laughs> continuing on, uh, the Red Knight dimension they've entered. Uh, this time they meet a strong young woman named Misuzu Kusakabe. All right, this is when we meet we meet Sword Girl, a senior at Rainbow High who saves them from a horde of the evil nightmarish Funko Pops using a lightning sword. As they run away, the two question Misuzu about this world, which <laughs> which she believes to be another dimension created by someone thus reflecting the same scenery, but running on a different space-time. There's a lot of talk about space-time and parallel worlds later in the show that's really stupid. Uh, Misuzu asks them if they possess any special powers like herself, and the answer is no, except that we uh, are really horny. The trio then tries to make their way to the Crystal Towers in the center of the city, which, according to Misuzu, are full of powerful energy for a chance of escape. However, an odd insect-like woman appears before them and declares that her name is NVIDIA, and they cannot pass. Uh, she is a GPU woman, uh, and she is very evil. At that, it was funny because you were just making crypto jokes like the entire time. Well, when I heard that, I was like, "Wait, did I just hear that her name is Nvidia?" 
<laughs> and then they kept saying her name over and over. Like, oh, her name is Nvidia. Why the fuck is she? What the fuck? It is uh, a little weird, even for an anime name. We like went back and we we're like, oh, I guess her name is literally just Nvidia. Yeah, it's the na- the anime names for the like these guys, these like knight dudes. They're the black knights, I think, is what they call them. The weird, the weird insect people with armor on. They all have goofy ass names, and Nvidia is the funniest one, I think. What's uh, so funny is because of my nostalgia for Gogias. Whenever I hear anything resembling something from Gogias, I'm like, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> okay, what this made me think of really, the reason I was making all these crypto jokes really, it was reminding me of that show Reboot. You ever seen Reboot? What is Reboot? Reboot was like Code Geass. I mean, no, sorry, uh, Code Lyoko. You know, like aspect, like levels, like CGI bullshit. It's oh. from the it's from the mid '90s, and the whole the the whole trope of the show is that all the characters are inside of a computer, and all their names are like CPU. My name's Ram. My name's like Boot Windows Boot System or some shit like that. Oh yeah, I've seen this. It looks yeah. insane. It is insane. But anyway, as soon as I heard her name was Nvidia, I was like, oh shit, she's like one of the re- reboot characters, like evil reboot character. <laughs> yeah, they're named like hexadecimal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of them is named Hex. Yeah. So yeah, name should we put your- that on the punishment wheel? No, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> What's crazy about reboot? I've seen before people that like like Farscape and like other like somewhat genuinely yeah. good shows. Mm-hmm. They also like stuff like that, and it's like okay, maybe you shouldn't be in control of what gets put on television. Probably not. No, I mean reboot was kind of epic if you were ten years old and had never seen CGI before. I feel like the worst torture session would be watching all of Reboot and then watching Drawn Together right after it. Mm, what about Megilla Gorilla? That's nice. Are you talking oh, about that's good. oh, yeah, that's good. Have you seen Drawn Together? Okay, Megilla Gorilla can be the eye bleach in between Reboot and Drawn Together. I have seen Drawn Together. I was watching it when it first came out. That shit sucks so bad. <laughs> I always thought that. I was like, did people think it was funny? Like, no. In 2004? I mean, people did, but it's the same people who thought Family Guy was funny. Family Guy's way funnier than John oh, together. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to the family guy. I'd family. rather see the chicken fight than <laughs> John together. Okay. The horny the horny comic book characters uh, on reality TV show have sex is the funniest shit I ever seen. This is your worst media take yet. <laughs> Alright, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Uh how about season one of Family Guy? It was like people who thought season one of Family Guy was great were also watching Drawn Together and being like, this is epic. Sure. <laughs> all right whatever i'm moving on nvidia shows up and she's like fuck you guys i'm nvidia you you can't you shall not pass crypto coin through my system um anyways at that the woman and misuzu begin to duel instead of fighting to win misuzu yuka and kakaru uh are successful in their attempt to flee the crystal towers where they stumble upon a young maiden trapped within a crystal she introduces herself as lizette and misuzu believes her to be an enemy who created this world uh, the trio are attacked by some much stronger adversaries, earning them the name of Black Knight due to their blackish appearance, <laughs> but once again find themselves returned to the normal world. Ah, yes, they wear black. They are the Black Knights. Great. I just want to say we did not write these recaps. These are taken directly off Wikipedia. Uh, I want to say that I'm adding my own flair to them, and any part that you think is funny in these recaps is me, so don't give any credit to them. Yes, you can look at Mumpy's fast hits this episode, such as referring to them as looking black and <laughs> calling the girl queer. No, you can't say that. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing I do want to point out, this is a this is pretty, a pretty deep cut. Her name is Lizette, or her name is Lizette, because she lies. 
Should yeah, there was a point where your brain was leaking out of your ears and you're no, like, I was just 11 standing. lies. 11 <laughs> lies? Her name yeah. is Lizette? Realize? You had the Jaden Smith tweet of realize, recognize, realize. Yeah, I was going to do a realize, realize, realize here uh, because I think realize, realize, Lizette lies. You know. I guess the only point of this is that, like, you get introduced to the bad guys or whatever, and they literally, the just the powers are not very impressive. Yeah, one guy has like a hammer. One guy shoots beams. Nvidia, what does Nvidia fucking do? She like, I don't know. She has, like a sword. She or can something. teleport. Nvidia teleport. I don't fucking. They all have like a sword and they suck. Uh, who gives a fuck? The, the the bad guys in this suck so bad. They're, they're Funko Pop minions, and then the Black Knights. This sucks so bad. The one I do like is, like, the Pokemon Unknown, where he's literally just, like, a weird symbol, like a flagpole or something. Oh, yeah, that guy is kind of interesting. They killed him. He doesn't get to stick to the, stick around to the end. I don't know why they killed him, because he's the most interesting one. He's just, like, I'm a weird-looking... It's interesting, because the other ones are just, like, bad guys who have a sword. And then there's this one who's, like, actually kind of, like, a surreal, like, nightmare monster man. And it's interesting for them to, like, actually have one guy who's kind of like feels like he fits in the red knight and he's like a twisted version of something in, in like in the real world you know that's when he that's like when he most feels like they have persona like kind of enemies because it's like a twisted version of something whereas the black knights are just like a guy who has black armor on and is a scary man with a sword yeah the unknown guys like kind of actually interesting because it's like there's a big moment where like he uses two powers at once or something yeah but he can't talk, and I was gonna think like, oh, they'll do like a review, like a I don't know why I was thinking they would do anything. I don't know why but you think that? <laughs> I was like, they'll do a reveal where like it's actually two human souls put together or something, yeah. and well, that's that was, was, that was your foolishness to think they would do something like that. Um, I do think it's good to watch stuff like this because it's there's so many ideas that you can almost get like in, inspired by something that is oh yeah totally inspired by the things they inspired by the things they failed to do. Definitely, you can get good ideas by watching something bad and seeing where you could have done a better job or taking the thing they threw out but never picked up on and being like, I could actually take this and do something with this. For sure, there's there are the, the seeds of ideas thrown out in this show that are not followed up on in a meaningful way. So those are like open, those are like, uh, you know, free, free real estate. Take the seeds of these good ideas that don't go anywhere and actually turn, turn them into good ideas and you'll have something. Um, yeah, I guess you can continue. We yeah. have a lot to do. We have so much more. Overall, I think the Black Knights suck, and when they actually tell us what they are and who they are, it does not add anything to to anything. It actually gets maybe worse when we actually learn more about them. Anyways, uh, after their stupid in encounter in the Red World, the three of them head to a cafe to calm themselves with their pants like torn open, and not going home to like change clothes or anything. Where Misuzu explains that she had seen others in the Red Knight too, one boy and two girls. And all our students at Rainbow High, very conveniently. Misuzu asks Kakaru to take off his eye patch, revealing a golden right eye, and tests Yuka if she can feel any electric charges she released. I don't know, what, electric charges? Which Yuka does not. While walking home, Kakaru espies, I <laughs> like that, his older sister. But she turns out to be Shiori instead. Uh, yeah, he just like hallucinates and thinks he sees his sister, but he just doesn't. He sees the Italian girl. Uh, Kakaru then goes to the cafe. He works at uh, part-time. To give him a leave? Wait, he works at the cafe? Hold on a second. What the fuck? This is news to me, actually, having watched the show. <laughs> I did not know that Kakaru worked at the cafe. We never see him there. Um, 
I don't even know. <laughs> I don't remember half this. There might be a there might have been a half a second where they showed him wearing like an apron. I it's so fast though. It's so fast that I'm actually surprised to hear that he worked at the cafe. Uh, anyway, I guess he worked at the cafe and he wants to take time off because he's being attacked and sent to the nightmare zone and attacked by Nvidia. So I guess he needs like, oh, I need to take a break from you know working a day job because Nvidia is fucking with me. Only to meet another part-timer there, a cheerful young girl who has an open flesh wound and is pouring coffee, uh, who is a freshman at Rainbow High named Yukiko Hirohara. With her back this turned to them... was the most ridiculous part. This part's insane. With her back turned to them, the fresh cut on her wrist mysteriously disappears. The next day at the library, Yuka and Kakaru are trying to search up on the Red Knight. They just, like, Google Red Knight. And as Kakaru takes a book titled Maiden of the Crystal Palace, catches the sight of his sister's eye staring right back at him with a note left on the ground that tells him he has awakened the devil. Kakaru then starts groaning with pain as his right eye aches once more. He screams and clutches his eye more than any other character in anime I think I've ever seen. It really is like you should go to the doctor if your eye is like fucking, fucking, you know, hurting that much all the time. Um, anyway, yeah, they walk into the cafe and there's a girl with like an open gaping flesh wound on her hand and she's pouring coffee and like getting people baguettes. <laughs> and it kind of reminded me of like the scary movie thing where the guy's like reaching out his little baby, like deformed hand. Oh yeah. <laughs> and like I'm just like if I was at that cafe, I'd be like, Can you hand me the baguettes with the other hand? Because <laughs> she keeps like she's pouring coffee with her like fucked up open like open flesh like gaping wound. <laughs> uh anyway, yeah, she, she's it's like one thing to like, you know, have like a cut on your face or something yeah. like that. But she has like an open gash yeah, on her big. hand it's while like, she's covers, serving food. It like covers half of her hand. It goes from like one side of her hand like halfway down the other side. It's big. <laughs> Anyway, it's very funny because she's also like the ditzy happy happy go lucky girl, and she's like, "Well, that's to set you up for an epic twist." Oh my god, epic twist that she actually isn't always happy go lucky. <laughs> this episode of Eleven Eyes got dark. Yeah, this episode of Eleven Eyes got real dark when the character's open gaping flesh wound uh, mysteriously healed while serving baguettes. Anyway, we'll go to the next episode. Episode three. It is, it, yes. I'm sorry. It is also funny that they just like go on Google and look up Red Knight. Yeah. Have you heard of Red Knight? I'm going to Google it. <laughs> they don't do like any research. It's What's also like crazy they... though is that they came up with the name Red Knight. So why would it, why did they just Google what they called the thing? It's like if I, yeah. if I like saw a dog for the first time and I went, oh, I, that's like a fuzzy thing. And I just like searched fuzzy thing. I didn't find anything. I was like, why can't I find fuzzy thing in Google? See, I think that's a good point because, like, if lightning appears, you're you would say like, "Oh, this bright flash of light from the sky," and it I would, called like, it the white beam. <laughs> it would somewhat accurately describe lightning, but there's like monsters and giant crystal formations and other yeah, stuff. There's so much more to the Red Knight. You like to to fully describe what actually like because the lightning bolt is like one thing. It's like white thing flash in sky. And you can Google that, and you probably will get something semi-accurate. Red Knight, Red Knight encompasses so much more than just red filter, because <laughs> that's literally obviously it's red filter on everything. But also, it's like Funko Pop monsters, nightmares beyond your wildest imagination, crystals shooting beams everywhere, Sword Girl who shoots like beams. It's like there's so many more descriptors that you need to describe what the Red Knight is. <laughs> it probably would have literally been better if they typed in like Red Knight Funko Pop Nvidia. 
Yeah, seriously, I, I'm pretty good at Googling what I'm looking for. I think you need to throw in more descriptors to get close to what you're looking for. Hmm. The link was not in the doobly do. Right, yeah, their, their link foo was weak. <laughs> their Google I forgot people me. used to do that. They used to say Google foo and stuff. Use my Google foo. <laughs> Obviously, Kakaru's Google foo is, is very much wanting. Uh, anyway, episode three, The Lonely Pride. These are so long, these recaps. Kakaru, Misuzu, and Yuko find out that the moon has turned black, this time in the real world. With such a bad omen, Misuzu tells them that if they are ever sent into the Red Knight again, the school will be their meeting place. Kakaru, wishing to protect Yuka, asks Misuzu if she will teach him how to use a sword, which he's never, been, he's never even talked about a sword ever before, but now he wants to use one. Misuzu refuses, but Kakaru is determined to learn so that he can protect Yuka the next time they are taken to the Red Knight. Meanwhile, a lonely and worried Yuka encounters Yukiko, who cheers her up with a lively smile and also honks her tits and goes, Nice rock! Uh, Yuka also notices that Yukiko is interested in the school delinquent, Takahisa Tajima, who's eating a baguette right now. After this school, guy is the only likable character in my opinion. Takahisa is so much more likable than the main character, it's not even funny. This is ridiculous, but uh, him and the nurse are like banging, right? And it's like... No, but they kind of are. She's uh, attracted to him, I she's guess. She's disciplining him physically, let's say. Yeah, but... That's like the most likable ship and yes, right. character. She's his adoptive mother, but she also wants to bang her adoptive son. The super weird cougar pedo and the guy that just walks around mumbling to himself eating a baguette are the most likable characters. And now we are saying eating a baguette. We're not joking that he has an entire like long, like a long French baguette, like big, like two feet or three feet long baguette. And he walks around holding it in school and eats the entire thing by the end of the episode. Like... During the progress of the show, the baguette is getting shorter as he's eaten more and more of it. He's eaten an entire piece of, like, an entire baguette. That's a lot of bread. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a quirky, like, the bread and mouth thing. He literally just got a loaf straight from the store. Yeah, it's very funny because, yeah, that's like a, that is a normal trope. And they've taken the normal trope and made it fucking demented, which is very funny, actually. I think that's, I mean, I guess that's another small compliment I can give is it's very funny when Takahisa eats an entire baguette like a maniac over the course of the show. <laughs> oh yeah it is anyway, very funny <laughs> after school Kakaru trains alone in the field using a baseball bat closely watched over by Shiori and Yuka just two two girls watching their man swing a baseball bat around <laughs> the good old days <laughs> yeah it's also it is funny like if you were if you were at this school and you just saw this kid he's not practicing like his baseball swing he's practicing like hitting something with a baseball bat and he's just standing in a field alone while two like horny girls watch him from afar <laughs> imagine hmm. imagine being an npc at this like high school and watching this happen you'd be like what the fuck is going on here is this like a, is this like a like a mating ritual or like a courting like you know thing the type of school is weird i just like i guess i just don't know that much about like the japanese school system but like i mean this is I, like bonkers school there's no reality here it very much confuses me i guess just because like the girls outfits are so ridiculous and then yeah. like it's like, wait, how, why would there, why would this not be a boy versus girl school too? It's just there's so much yeah. going this on. This is well, they're they're in like Lolita Cafe made costumes. These these are not any any resemblance to an actual school uniform. Whatever you think about Japanese school uniforms, this is not one of them. <laughs> anyway, after watching him train, Masuzu takes him and Yuka back to her home, where she shows them her true abilities. 
uh, she like had <laughs> it's so stupid, which come in the form of five different swords swords that are kept sealed within her nails. It the answer to why she wears gloves. It's just saying this, like I feel like my brain is melting. It's so stupid. It was also initially under the agreement that only one sword could belong to each person, but Masuzu won all five swords, uh, causing her family to seek her life, prompting her to move to this part of Japan. I mean, every time I say more, I feel stupider as I'm saying it. Uh, she was so good at sword fighting that her whole family hates her because she's so good at sword fighting that she has all the swords. But the thing is, this is not stuff that ever matters in the show. This is like the family stuff is not relevant really until the end of the the show where she like meets another person from her family. But like you don't see attempts on her life or people hate her, like scowling at her on the street or something. She's just like she's the sword girl with a million swords, and she tells you that. Her family hates her because she's so good at swords. And then that doesn't come up like really ever again. It's really not relevant to the story at all. Anyway, um, finishing her introduction, Masuzu begins Kakaru's training, which consists of Kakaru attacking a candle with a sword. And that is the only training that you ever see him do. Uh, she later explains to Yuka that she cut Wait, down her... Wait, hold on. Yes. You were very mad at the candle scene. Explain why so you mad. were so mad at it. Because he goes, Master, tr please train me in, in sword fighting. I must be able to kill the Funko Pops, or else I cannot protect Yuka. Then she goes, no. And then she goes, actually, yes. Time to train. And then for, like, two or three episodes straight, he just cuts candles, and then he is magically better at sword fighting. It's so annoying. It's like, what were you saying about pow the power system? What the fuck was he doing that made him be Is it literally that he's never held a sword before? So all he had to do was, like, hold a sword for, like, two days, and now he's like, ah. Now I know that you're supposed to hold the sword with two hands, and now I can fight. Like he doesn't. There's. Why is he better at holding at handling the sword from cutting a candle? I don't fucking get what he's doing. Are the swords imbued with powers themselves? Her swords are, and eventually she gives him one of her swords. But he just it was using a regular sword for the beginning of the show, until she until he gets like a magic sword. He doesn't have any powers from what we can see. He just is a guy who has a sword. And his only training so far has been cutting candles. And now he can fight Funko Pop monsters because he, he's cutting them down like candles. That's all I can think of. <laughs> it's so annoying. It, it's so, I, could, like, I couldn't handle how annoying it was that he trained for five minutes cutting candles. And now he is a sword fighter. Um, anyway, uh, she later explains to Yuka that she cut down her father to get the last sword. Ooh, it doesn't matter. Who gives a fuck? It's not it's not relevant to the story because the father doesn't matter. Well, why even bring it up? Who cares? As Kakaru laments with frustration, the Red Knight appears again, and the stronger Black Knights are sent to dispose of them. The fragments. They call them the fragments. They don't explain it until like episode 11, essentially, what that means. They just call them that, and it doesn't matter. As the Black Knight is about to crush Yuka and Kakaru, chains appear out of nowhere and frighten the Black Knights to escape. I don't know why they're frightened about chains. Like, who gives a fuck about chains? Meanwhile, as Masuzu faces difficulty defeating Gula, one of the Black Knights, is this the dude who's like got his like nipples out and he's attacking with a hammer? Is he that guy? I don't know which one Gula is. <laughs> nipples of attacking. With he's a just hammer. like a he's just like a shirtless fat man who is attacking with like a, a mace or something. I think that one's Gula. <laughs> you it doesn't should, matter. You know what you should do? Yes. You gotta go the eleven nines leaky and <laughs> pull up. <laughs> yeah. You gotta pull up the chart. I'm just gonna write in That is Gula, but you gotta pull up the chart. Ah. <laughs> Alright, love a nice wiki. Let's go. Where's the characters? I don't even fucking see them. 
Imagine not knowing Benedictus and Sebastianus. Wait, Benedictus is one of the guys? No, it's just like a random name on the wiki. What the fuck? That's probably not a character who was in the anime. That's probably a character who was in like the, the visual novel or something. Also, none of these bad guys get backstories or anything. They're just NPCs. That's what I'm saying is once you learn more about them, it's like you still didn't learn anything because they don't have any story to them. Like Gula is like a fat nipple man with a hammer, but you don't know. Once you learn what the Black Knights are, it doesn't add anything to me knowing who Gula is. He's just like a guy. Yeah, imagine in Fate if the guys weren't like mythical legends or anything. They were just like a guy named Towered or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I have criticisms of, of, like, that aspect of fate, but it's way better than what we're shown here. It's way better. Uh, anyway, we can move on. Gula's getting his ass kicked because he's, like, a fat nipple man with a hammer. What's uh, the nipple part? It's, like, doesn't he have his, like, isn't he, like, stripped down to his, like, his chest or whatever? His, well, like, they're, hair? like, all naked. Yeah, but, like, the armor guy has, like, armor on. I think his, like, his, like, nips are out, and he's swinging a hammer. Honestly, if you look at his design, he's busty a little bit. That's what I'm saying. He's like kind of like he's kind of stacked. I didn't want to say it. He's gonna be like that one thick Dark Souls armor. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say it, but Gula's kind of stacked like a Dark Souls armor, like a fat Dark Souls armor. Movie's waifu is Gula. <laughs> okay, you know what? Gula looks like the like what is he called? The Onion Knight. That's like what he's. He looks like he's wearing the Onion Knight armor. Exactly. All right. So if you ever play Dark Souls, you'll know what I'm talking about. He looks like. Like, the Onion Knight armor has the nipples kind of, like, accentuated, and it looks like it has fat rolls, like, in the armor to, like, compensate for having a really big person wearing it, I guess, is the idea. But it's, like, very curvy because it has, like, things that bandy around the Yeah, the banding makes it it look like the the armor has fat rolls. It's kind of like armor that seems insulting to wear. (laughs) So Gula is the resident BBW of the series. Yes, and he has a big hammer, and then he gets his ass kicked. Uh, Gula gets his ass kicked thanks to a girl stabbing him, but we don't know who that girl is until later. Uh, Misuzu is able to finish him off, causing one of the crystal towers in the center of the Red Knight to disappear. Trapped under the broken car with an unconscious Yuka... Uh, this Wikipedia is all over the place. Uh, Yuka and Kakaru just hide under a car because they suck. Uh, Kakaru vaguely sees his older sister looking down at him peacefully. He just keeps seeing his sister everywhere, and it doesn't make any sense until they just show her to us later. But it's just, like, there's no mystery because she just like, is there, and then she also is shown to us as a, just a person who is there. Um, yeah, anyway. there's just a lot of things like that with the girl in the bookshelf. Too. Yeah. Like, why even make it vague? Because we're just going to meet her later, and it's not... It's so funny because she just walks in and says, hi. Well, she doesn't say anything, but they go, hi, this is your sister, but she's not your sister, so don't worry about it. Um, It's not like there's any mystery behind it until episode, like, 11 or 12, that there's actually something deeper to it. But when she's first introduced, it's mysterious because he thinks he's seeing things and seeing her, but then he is just seeing her, and she's just there, and she's a character for a while. Anyway, next episode. Smiling Behind a Facade, episode 4. Takahisa and Yukiko are revealed to be two of the few in the Red Knight. All right, they're the other Red Knight people. The girl with the gaping flesh wound on her hand and the guy eating a baguette are our other characters who hang out in the Red Knight for some reason. Takahisa has the ability to manipulate fire. He just throws fireballs. Yukiko happily introduces Yuka, Kakiru, and Misuzu to Takahisa, calling him Mr. Hero of Justice. But also she gropes, like, all the female characters first before she does that. Yes. Yeah, so that's another thing. Uh... 
Yukiko is the happy-go-lucky girl who just is is literally is like groping the shit out of all the other girl characters. She is she greets people by grabbing their tits. Yes, but also sometimes she just like uh, stealth fan, like gropes their tits from behind before they know that she's there. Anyways, not relevant to the plot at all. She's just the girl who grabs the tits. That's all we need to know. Uh, Kakiru is determined to find his power after Takahisa teases him, but cannot seem to awaken it. Uh, as he trains, by cutting a candle for no stupid fucking reason, he sees Masuzu leaping towards Yuka, and he jumps in front of her to take the blow, only to find everyone staring at him. Uh, Masuzu, although her face betrays no emotion, was in, in truth really thinking of pointing her sword at Yuka to test his resolve, but didn't do it in the end. Uh, so what's happening here is that we start to see that maybe Kakaru can kind of see into the future, but it kind of also doesn't make sense and isn't explained. Uh, Kakaru is just pissed off that the power system makes no sense in this anime, so he just kind of like uselessly flails at a candle with his sword while everyone says, why don't you have powers, bitch? Uh, let's see. The next day at school, they are taken once more to the Red Knight for no reason and are attacked by the two of the Black Knights named Ira and Nvidia. Haha, -ha, Nvidia appears. Masuzu tries to fight and hold back Ira. I don't know which one Ira is. Is that the one with the fucked up weird head that like kind of isn't human looking? Yes. All right. See, I'm getting pretty good at this. <laughs> uh, uh, fight and hold back Ira, but fails to break the standoff. She is saved by Yukiko, who enters the fight, very nearly delivering a death blow to Masuzu's opponent when she's impaled from behind by Nvidia. Oh fuck! Nvi oh, Nvidia has uh, her weapon is I I couldn't remember until just now because I thought of how uh, I thought of how this character gets like totally fucked up by her. Nvidia has a flexible tail whip lance thing it's kind of shaped like a floppy lance but then when she attacks with it it like extends until like lance like like a, a like a long like pokey impaling lance type weapon it's very stupid and weird looking i don't really like it because it just like looks lame and then it magically kills people whenever she wants it to kill people but it, you i kind of don't understand how it works uh just as the black knights are assured of victory takahisa ignites them and the red knight ends once again uh, again, we don't really have any way to understand about why the Red Knight starts or when it ends. Like, it just kind of ends when they want it to end, and it starts when Stone Cold breaks the glass. Right? It, there's like, yeah. there's no logic to it, right? From what no, I can tell. I don't even know if they like tried to plot dump that at the end either. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember them ever talking about exactly why or how the Red Knight ever starts. It just sort of happens when the characters have been walking around long enough and they get uh, Red Knighted. Anyways. Yeah, they explain the portal and all that, but they don't actually describe, like, the time mechanics or anything yeah. like and, that. And it also is funny, because later in later episodes, they just break the non-existent rules. Right? They just kind yeah, of show up that's sometimes. Ridiculous. That part's so frustrating, because it's like, we've been through eight or nine episodes, and now you can just show up whenever you want, but you never established what the rules were to begin with. And it just sort of seemed like... Because things just kind of kept happening the same way, we fall into this pattern of assuming things are the way they are. But then they're just like, no, we could have done this whenever we wanted to. It's just that there were eight or nine episodes where we didn't want to break the pattern. So there you go. Now we're here. <laughs> yeah, I guess was probably the most insulting part of the entire thing is when NVIDIA just teleports outside of it. And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, we could just do that by expending life energy. Yeah. But we don't know how their life energy works or anything. Yeah, and we don't understand, was life energy ever a part of how the Red Knight starts? 
do they have a set amount of life energy per red knight that they can expend? Uh, they've been, they've been, uh, we learn later that this has been happening for like thousands of years. Is their life energy some, somehow tied to them being in the red nighters? It doesn't make any fucking, so fucking stupid. <laughs> the fragments are humans that are imbued with part of the, uh, crystal jewel shards or whatever. Wow, don't spoil it. Come on, we haven't And then the peep the whatever the goofy guys squad <laughs> is all like demons that were transfigured from humans. Yeah. But we don't know how that process works, what their uh, lifespan is, if it is like five years or short or something. Uh, we don't know how life energy works. We don't know any of their powers. I think your nipples have to be exposed for some aspect of the power to work, I'm pretty sure. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, anyway, the red night has ended, and Yukiko staggers up and puts her glasses on again. She had been impaled, like, all the way through her body, a giant, huge gaping wound through the center of her, her body. And so she just stands up and is like, hey, I'm here with my glasses. Turning into the cheerful, outgoing freshman they knew so well. She reveals her regeneration skills by healing the large wound in her stomach. After a hug from Yukiko, uh, Yuka and a huge groping, Yukiko tells them that she was born in the, the country of Transylvania where there were constant massacres, also where she found her abilities. Yukiko then thanks them for accepting her for who she is, blood, personality, and regeneration skills and all. Um, so Yukiko's big thing is that she is a ditzy, horny groper when she has her glasses on, and then it gets serious when she takes her glasses off, and she reverts to her Transylvanian personality, where it was a constant life of misery and massacre. It's um, like Superman if Superman was like a horny bully, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> With more groping, though. <laughs> she goes sicko mode when she takes off the yes. glasses. Easiest way to say it. She goes sicko mode when the glasses come off. And then she goes back to groping when the glasses are on. Um, yeah, when she takes the glasses off, it's for the sickos. Yeah, so this is one of those things that I feel like this is where the aspects of this being a visual novel most come out to me. You know, where it's like, these are some lolly harem girls who have a tragic backstory, but then we don't ever actually investigate any of that backstory. And it's just so that they can be characters who uh, are horny for the main character and have a tragic backstory. Like with the thing with Misuzu killing her whole clan and she had to kill her father to get her sword. And Yukiko is actually from a fucked up country where they kill people all the time. But it's like, if your friend told you that, wouldn't you be like, wow, damn, like, do you want to talk about it? But they're like, they're like, oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, have fun groping my friend. I'll talk to you later. Movie, you have to make a meme out of this so it could be the cover art for the episode. What am I making a meme of? Let me see. Holy shit. Yeah. That's 11 eyes on the left and it's me and you on the right. <laughs> what is 11 eyes groping though in this meme? Well, I'm it's... It's just eleven eyes is groping, and then we're just shocked. We're like, what? I think, I think the titty can be like expectations of of basic storytelling. Yeah, and then you you're looking at it. We had a discussion, but you'll see what happens. It's very funny. All right, we'll get to that later. We'll there will be excellent excellent memes all around made by me. Um, I'm honestly, I'm surprised we got this much out of this anime. It's right, amazing. On, let's, let's, let's hurry up because this shit sucks. I'll be honest, yeah, we're like two and a half. <laughs> There's like three episodes in a row where nothing happens, so let's like power through these. Uh, for my friends in For Tomorrow, episode five, Yuka faints again at school. Like, she just keeps doing it, and I'm assuming she's doing it uh, just to get Kakaru's attention, I'm assuming. 
-hmm. and the school doctor, Psycho Akamine, with the giant tits, concludes that it is anemia. She already told us that it was anemia in episode one, so I don't know why this is revealed in episode five, but it is. She also reveals to them that she is Takahisa's legal guardian after discovering him living on the streets as a child, and then she rubbed her tits in his face. That literally happens. After the visit to the infirmary, Kakuru and Yuka are firstly introduced to the mute Kukuri Tachibana, who is identical in looks and name to Kakuru's dead sister. His dead sister just walks in, and that's, like, <laughs> it's so stupid. Shocking. We'll Yuka. just get it out the way. She's selectively mute, and she turns into a BDSM angel with a gag over her mouth. Not until later, so don't worry about it for now. Yeah, but we could just get it out the way. Sure. Yeah, gird your loins for that later. Also, one of the funniest scenes is she like tries to say something, but she runs out of paper. Yeah, that is actually pretty funny. She had something important to say and goes, "Up, oh, no more paper." Well, well, she writes right in the middle of the page yeah. with a giant fucking marker. Yeah, she uses a big marker and takes up the entire page, saying like "hello." It's like you could have like saved a page. Why not write in the back of the pages? Come on. Anyway. And Yuka, she does it a lot. Like, so you're yeah. going to go through your 70-page, like, notebook. Yes. Yuka and Kakaru are uh, shocked. Who cares? Meanwhile, Takahisa uh, gets into a motorcycle accident to find that there is a barrier in the middle of the city that only he cannot pass through. Kakaru resumes his sword training with Misuzu at school, soon after which the Red Knight falls. During the Red Knight, Misuzu is immediately engaged by NVIDIA, and Yuka and Kakaru are for again forced to escape. While running away, they are met by Ira, who blocks their way out of the school grounds. He at first overwhelms Kakaru, but eventually Kakaru's powers awaken finally for some fucking reason in a battle to protect Yuka, allowing him to detect his movements before he executes them, and Kakaru manages to fell his opponent. Despite his victory, Kakaru falls to the ground violently, convulsing in pain. Alright, so finally his precognition shit shows up. Uh, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. If, if you give precognition to a guy who's only swung a sword at a candle for five minutes, it wouldn't make him good at fighting. He just apparently is good at fighting now. I think um, this is one of the only two animated fights, and it's, like, below Sword Art Online tier. Yeah, when we say that, a lot of the fights happen off-screen, or they have, like, no fight animation to them, and it's just, like, one guy swings, the sword, the beam happens, and then the fight's over. There's, like, very little actual animation of, like, what could be called a fight scene. Most of what happens in the show is someone stands still, and then gets stabbed from behind, and it's, like, an epic, like, wipe across the screen with a, a cool special effect, and then, like, the fight's over. So this is like, there's some actual fighting and it looks like shit, but at least there's like some attempt at making a fight scene. Yeah, nothing happens though. They just, same training, yeah. same booba gags. That's yeah, it. this episode, so little happens. Just booba gags, boring candle slicing. And then the whole motorcycle thing with Tak Takahisa doesn't matter. It's like, what the fuck is this? He, You'd think that they would come back to that, but it's just like a thing that happens and then like immediately is forgotten because the Red Knight has started. Yeah, I hate when I get a motorcycle accident, so just have to, like, ignore it. Yeah, I hate when I'm riding my motorcycle and bash into an invisible wall, and then I, I just run away, and the Red Knight starts, and I have to fight by throwing fireballs. It really never comes back. I don't think that ever comes back. This is where the pattern begins for the next, like, yeah. eight episodes. Until episode eight, essentially, this happens just over and over. They just have hijinks in the Red Knight, and nothing, no plot develops or anything. Let's blaze uh, through Episode this. 6, Upset Heart. Let's push on. Kakaru is stuck in a coma, racked with pain in his past memories. After he, like, after he uses precognition shit, he like falls over and dies. Uh, his friends are by his side, worried for the state of his health. Misuzu attempts a ritual to heal him and free Kakaru of his tournament, uh, torment. His right eye, known as the Eye of Aeon, activates and past <laughs> and present meet in a meeting of the minds. <laughs> this is so poorly written. I the know. next morning... Kakaru awakens healed to a weakened Misuzu. Oh, this is when she gets naked to heal him. Uh, Kakaru awakens healed to a weakened Misuzu who is passed out in his lap. Uh, her head 
they are both naked and her head is like on his dick. Uh, and this is when I assume in the visual novel is probably the first like hardcore sex scene is probably happening. Yeah. I couldn't tell you, but I'm assuming this is when she goes, I must fuck Kakaru to bring him back to life. And fucking him was so difficult that I passed out giving him a blowjob or something. There is an extreme degree of absurdity to this relationship in particular. Yes. Like this it starts by her kidnapping him while he is in a coma, stripping him down. Yes. Cutting herself open, feeding him blood, and then giving him sloppy while he wakes up. Or at least, at least the uh, the the uh, implied sloppy. The anime, the anime. What we're saying here, this is me just speculating on what happens in the visual novel. The anime does not show actual sloppy being toppied, and she does get naked, but you don't <laughs> see her. You don't see what she actually does physically to him, but you can assume what's happening. I assume later on because of what she does in her character to feel complete. Right. Right. All yeah. Right. He must be completed and there's only one way to do so. Anyways, uh, continuing on. Um, uh, 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 right. Uh, Misuzu nakedly passes out in Kakaru's naked lap. So she is just on his dick. Yuka, who comes to check up on him, witnesses only this, completely misinterpreting what she had seen. Now... <laughs> It's pretty hard to misinterpret what you just saw here, where some naked bimbo is face down in a naked guy's lap. Um, I mean, yes, in the anime, what you think, what is being misinterpreted here, yes, did not happen literally on screen. But I'm assuming in the visual novel, this, what we think happened did happen. And uh, I don't know what you guys, I don't even know, I don't know if you, you can really even call it misinterpreting, but whatever for the sake of the anime it's a misinterpretation even though it looks like she's bobbing her head up and down on his crotch uh the others gather for breakfast and a short enjoyable piece is broken when misuzu has a dizzy spell which kakaru responds to with concern which upsets yuka because she's pissed that uh her boyfriend is gives a shit that someone else is dying in front of him yeah she's obsessed and she's obsessed. this is when the obsession starts to get really serious and causing her to blindly flee kakaru finally catches up with yuka on the school rooftop and assures her that Misuzu and he are only friends, even though who the fuck knows what happened last night. Yuka confesses her feelings to him, wanting a kiss to legitimize their relationship. Kakaru refuses, making Yuka run away again. So this bitch just keeps running away. As Kakaru once again tries to follow, the Red Knight falls, and a standoff ensues between their team of dubbed the Fragments and the Black Knights. <sighs> As the battle begins, Misuzu readies herself for a fight, and Yukiko starts to engage in battle when Kakaru reveals... No, wait. When Kukuri reveals her powers and slaughters all the Nightmare Blob Funko Pops and a Black Knight named Scholastica in the process. Scholastica, her name's so fucking stupid. Uh, after everyone regroups, Takahisa reveals that he has found Yuka's tattered backpack. It's so, look, we're, he's in a literal coma and awakened his powers and we're literally right back to the same fucking thing. Yeah, it, he awakens it. Something that should be plot relevant happens, and then it's just like, ah, the same shit's happening. We're in the Red Knight. We have to fight Scholastica and some Funko Pops. It's so stupid. The same shit It happens. is a slice of life, pointless dialogue, not even exposition, Red Knight yep. shenanigans, nothing. Yep. Uh, but we do see, see that Kukuri, who is the, the lookalike for Kakaru's sister, has some chains and shit, and she fucks some shit up while not uh saying anything. Also, the guy, Baguette guy, has the coolest power in the entire show. He just shoots fire. Yep. And he does nothing. You don't get to see him yep. do anything. He just stands around and goes, wow, I found a penguin backpack. <laughs> Whoa. Yuka's backpack is cool. Another tiny, tiny, tiny compliment. I do like her stupid penguin backpack. 
I would buy one if it yeah. was available. I did like it. All right, next episode. Uh, seven, Twisted Awakening. With no one to protect her now, Yuka is desperately trying to run and forget her fears about Kakaru and Misuzu. I think her skirt is ripped at this point, too. The others search in vain for Yuka, fearing the worst, and split up to find her. Uh, Kakaru and Takahisa search in the school while the girls search the city. Meanwhile, Lizette, as I like to call her, awakens to find herself alone and test the limits of her crystal barrier. Uh, bitch is in a crystal. I don't know what to tell you. Yukiko manages to find Yuka at the temple, talking to herself about Kakaru. Uh, here's another... How do you even say this one? Aravishia, the chief Black Knight, notices Lizette's attempt to escape and leaves the matter of the fragments to the other Black Knights. Yukiko tries to cheer up Yuka as she laments both her lack of power and her belief that Kakiru, Kakiru is becoming distanced from her. <laughs> I think her, her tits do get honked at this point while she's in grief and Yukiko's trying to help her. I love I, when your friend is sad and you go up to her and go honk. Yeah, that does happen, right? She finds her and she's sad looking. So Yukiko goes, oh, I'll cheer her up. Honk, honk. And she goes, wait, this I'm, usually works. I'm almost surprised there was just no point where she just like doesn't stick her head in between them and motorboat. Uh, we do see a motorboat, but it's mostly a child-on-adult motorboat, so it's not as <laughs> Yeah, my bad. There is a motorboat in the show. Yeah, there is one motorboat, and it's when the old doctor finds an abandoned child and goes, I'll adopt him, and shoves her titties in his face, and he gets stuck in between them and motorboats around in them. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, Yukiko advises that it may be for the best, revealing her own bloody past. I don't understand why it would be for the best, but whatever. Uh, the boys continue to search as Scholastica... Wounded and dazed, disintegrates before their eyes. Scholastica got, like, no screen time, but her name was funny. Um, Misuzu meets with them as Nvidia appears, wishing revenge for marring her face and body. Uh, uh, Kakaru activates the Eye of Aeon to fight Nvidia and manages to land a severe blow before the pain begins to cripple him. Superbia and Misu... Superbia, that's another one. Uh, we didn't introduce Superbia before. Her name is Superbia. It's stupid. And Misuzu duel, as the Black Knight remarks about Misuzu's own Miyoji heritage. Uh, Misuzu becomes suspicious of Superbia's knowledge, but that becomes unimportant as Superbia displays the Kusakabe dual blade stance and takes a human form, revealing herself to be a female warrior once part of the Misuzu family that Misuzu once idolized, Misao Kusakabe. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't even have anything to say. It's just the same shit again. Yeah, so they're fighting, and Misuzu finds out that the one of the random black knights is actually someone she knows, but she's wearing black armor, and it's like confusing because you're like, oh damn, why is this chick that Masuzu looked up to is uh, whatever she's fighting them now? It's really you said episode eight. It's more like episode ten. You're right. Uh, Takahisa continues his battle with Nvidia, but both reach their limits. Yukiko and Kakuri arrive on the scene and attack Nvidia. A cyclone then tra <laughs> to traps them. <laughs> Why is there a cyclone? With Nvidia, and she reveals her explosive blood. Yuka suddenly appears and cries for Kakaru, activating her latent power. Nvidia's power, Misuzu's sword, and Kukuri's chains all disappear. When Yukiko realizes that Nvidia has been neutralized, she stabs her in the head. Misuzu explains that Yuka has the dangerous power of nullification, uh, the ability to prevent the use of enemies or friends' powers. Then Yuka faints because she used her powers too much. Dumb bitch. <laughs> Sorry, cut that. Um, this episode, it, I'm, yeah, it's, it's there's so too much. much to even like start. So much, but nothing. 
so much but nothing. They're just in the Red Knight fighting and nothing of any importance happens except that every character now has powers and none of them make any sense. The thing that's probably supposed to be relatively interesting is the heritage thing, but I guarantee you it is the dumbest part of the entire it's series. so dumb and has no effect on the plot. The only, it doesn't even really make any sense because once it's explained, it's like, why did you guys do all this shit? It's like, knowing what you know by the end of the show, you're like, none of what these people, any of the characters make, did makes any sense, including like the quote-unquote bad guys. You don't also, get why they did what they did. If you want to know what the show is like, look up like Eleven Eyes Rule 34 and then watch this one episode because it is all the other parts of it that suck where it's like, oh, we're in the Red Knight. I have this power. Well, I have this power. Well, I have this power. And then nothing of consequence happens the entire yeah. time. Well, what's also shown is that what everyone thinks the powers do isn't what they actually do later in the in the episodes. So it's just kind of like random powers are spouting and shooting out and you're like, how do I how do I grok what is happening here? I don't understand what actually happened because they don't explain what the powers are actually doing. And when the characters make a speculation on what the powers do, they're wrong. <laughs> it's kind of like the meme of like J like JJK where Gojo is like blue and it's like, oh, I love when Shonen Daddy says blue or whatever. Right. But he does attempt to explain it, even though it's very poorly. Yes. This is just like makes no sense. This is like Eleven. I saw that and was like, blue is epic. Let's do more blue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like it's like taking the, the surface aspects of these like poorly explained powers from other shows and then just saying like, oh, the part of them that was cool is that they shot a beam and that no one explained what the power does. These people can like control reality, transcend time, have like existence erasure. Yeah. But they're also like like 10-year-old Naruto is killing them all. So I it makes it's very confusing. Yeah, it's like characters just die when it's like convenient for them to be surprised that someone has a power that works at all, that does anything. Um Yeah, there's like no intrigue to any of them. I mean, I'm intrigued because I'm like, nothing is ever going to be explained, is it? <laughs> How did you make this? Anyway, it's let's like move on. the kid that goes shield. Yeah, but right. like it's like the kid yeah, that goes go shield. Ahead. It's like the kid that goes shield, but then he goes, oh, but also my shield has razor blades attached to it, so it kills yeah. you. <laughs> also, I'm invisible and fly in your balding gay and shut up. <laughs> and my shield is also invisibility cloak. And also lightning bolt. <laughs> and I have a job and a girlfriend and a car. And I work out. Yeah, <laughs> and I work out. <laughs> All right, episode eight, witching hour. The Black Knights converse over the fragments. You can... <laughs> so stupid. Why even include I feel like that? we're talking about Land of the Lustrous again. Yeah. All right. So the Black Knights are, are the first part of this episode, and they just like they say nothing and do nothing, and nothing matters. Yuka awakens the next morning to see Kakaru dozing on a chair beside her bed. He inquires if she is all right, and Yuka assures him and declares she wishes to protect him. Downstairs in the living room, I here's the thing: I don't know where they are at this part of the show because at the beginning um... of the show, for the first um for the first like five episodes, they're they're either at the school. I know that Kakaru has a house that we kind of never see. We don't really see where he lives ever. Yuka has a house that she stays at with her adopted parents that we also never see because they would have to actually draw characters that could be her adopted parents. Um, but then there's like no other, there's no other settings. There's no other locations in the show. But then once they start hanging out all together, there's this like place that they all hang out and I don't know where it is. It's like a little mini mansion that all the characters hang out in and have tea and stuff and like meet in the drawing room and stuff, right? It they looks like, like a boarding school, but there's no yes. other characters, so they own the entire school. Right. 
but they don't go to a boarding school. They dress like they go to a boarding school, but they don't go to a boarding school. This is a regular high school that they like attend and then go home and stuff. But then yeah. from like in the latter half of this show, the entire second half of the show, they have like a clubhouse that looks like a little mini like mansion, like a little Victorian mansion. And they just kind of like do all their discussions and all their like world, like all their plot development happens there. And there's also an attached dojo where like Takaru attacks candles and uh, Misuzu like blows him and stuff in there sometimes. I and read it, that the crystal towers in the visual novel are like Roman style towers. So I assume uh -huh. that this all take, has like an actual setting to it. Yeah, it's just like there is they don't explain where they ended up for the last half of this show. And it's very frustrating. And it's also interesting because sometimes they just magically are at the school. So I'm assuming this is like a, an on-campus, like, little clubhouse mansion that only they use. Because they can, they can go to the school really fast when they need to from this part, part of the show. Um, yeah, I guess. But yeah, they're always having tea and doing slice-of-life things in this, this location, which we don't understand where it is. But anyway, that's none of them is rich. It's not like yeah. Lelouch, where Lelouch is like rich or whatever. So he has his own private like room well, for him, and not only none of them has a background that tells us anything about their rich or not richness. No, Yuka has adopted parents that just have a normal house that doesn't tell us anything about them, and we also never see the parents, so we don't know. Uh, Kakaru doesn't have Kakaru has a undisclosed location that he has spent the first fourteen years of his life at. We don't know where he lives. Kakaru uh, is just like the homeless. Guys. I think Kakaru might be homeless, but no, there sleeps in his car and doesn't say anything. Yeah. Honestly, kind of yeah, but I think there is one like five second scene where he opens a door somewhere. I it's hard to say. I don't fucking know. That could be another character's door that they open. I don't really know. Uh, Yukiko, we never see her where she lives. Takahisa and the the booby nurse live together, I think, but we never see where they live. It's just that he and but we know that they're, that they're poor. Or that they are lower class because Takahisa says always stealing money from her purse and she gets pissed off when it's like 100 yen. Uh, any other characters, I don't think we know where they live. It doesn't matter. But I got triggered as soon as I saw the word living room in, the, in this recap. Because <laughs> it's like, what fucking living room? Who lives there? What the fuck? Anyway, downstairs in the living room, Misuzu and Takahisa discuss Yuka's power. The Red Knight and the reason they are chased by the Black Knights. Uh, Kakaru confronts Kokuri about the notebook and asks to leave Yuka alone. Uh, after Takahisa leaves to uh, leaves in search of Yukiko, Masuzu checks the Oni barrier around her house that we've never seen before, which shows hairline cracks. I guess the dojo is Masuzu's house, but they just magically are there whenever they need to be. And the the dojo, her house is next to this mansion, or maybe this is Masuzu's house. Maybe that could be it. I like that word theory crafting the housing situation. I honestly need to because I don't fucking know where the characters are in space and time ever. I want to know and I don't know. I, I like this. This is what 14 year old girls do. <laughs> well, this is like I said, I told you before the recap started, I am looking for a deeper meaning where there probably is none. But I feel like just the barest outline, like the barest outlines of details are sitting on the corners of the screen. And I have to look closely to find out where, they, like what is actually being told to me. I'm guessing that the house that they're staying is might be Masuzu's house. Maybe. And she comes from, I guess she, it makes sense because she comes from like a line, uh, like a family line of famous own Miyoji or something. But she's supposed to be the outcast. So why would she have a mansion? I don't fucking know. My brain hurts. Um, anyways, meanwhile, uh, 
Meanwhile, Yukiko tells Takehisa about how much everyone means to her and how much loss she has suffered as Kakiru follows Misuzu to her dojo, where Misuzu shows him the mark branded into her shoulder. She then cuts herself and offers Kakiru the power of the Kusakabe by drinking her blood, and Yuka witnesses this quote-unquote intimate moment and then faints. Uh, it's, not, it's not intimate or sexy what is happening. Kakiru is literally just like, she, has, she cut her arm and there's blood coming out of it, and he licks her bloody wound, and I guess... If you really squint from the, the angle that Yuka is watching from, it looks like he's sucking her titty, kind of, because of where he's yeah. headed, right? That's, like, that's the closest you can guess to what could be an intimate moment. Also, like, she didn't need to take her shirt off to cut her arm. <laughs> that's another thing that I think is funny. If yeah, her- my son was watching this, I would rather just get him, like, a Pornhub subscription and let uh, him it watch, might be like, better. Mia it Khalifa might- or something. It might be better for his brain development. Yeah, <laughs> this is probably actively harmful for a developed a developing brain. Yeah, uh, let me just subscribe to like any normal OnlyFans girl for you at this rate. Just get your, just get your son. You you come upon your son watching Eleven Eyes, and you instantly buy him a subscription to the uh, Yum Yum Ice Cream So Good Girl. Yeah, Pinky Dunk. <laughs> yeah, she said, just watch this, son. You can watch as much Pinky Dunk content as you want, please. Just don't watch Eleven Eyes, whatever you do. I'll even let you watch Cherry Crush. <laughs> I would not let my son watch Cherry Crush, but I would let no. him watch Pinky Dunk. <laughs> but yeah, that, that would probably be better for his mind overall. Actually, you know what? If he if he if he acts up, he's got to watch the FBI guy. This is the true <laughs> lesser of two evils situation. Yeah. If my son, if I after buying him the Pinky Doll subscription, my son uh, acts up, I'm gonna punish him and say. No more Pinky Doll for you. You can only watch uh, the Hong Kong tit guy. What's his name? Oh, Meat Canyon? Yeah, he can only watch Meat Canyon. That, it's that's me, punishment. Meat Canyon's NPC thing where he goes, you're tins, yucky. Yeah, that's, that's, his, uh, that's grounding my son from watching uh, Pinky Doll. <laughs> it's, it's writing Bible verses, but instead you have to watch him go honk. Honk, honk. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, this is truly a demented show. Once this start this stuff starts happening, it's getting so demented what's happening. Anyway, uh Yuka continues to get more and more like fucked in the head as she sees more and more like tit sucking and, and fake blowjobs and stuff. <laughs> anyway, Takahista made his oh has made his way god. back to school, but is caught by Jeez. Psycho for being late. After scolding him, she wants him to meet her after school to go out to eat. Uh the nurse is pissed at Takahisa, who gives a fuck. In class, Shiori gets a love letter, which she destroys and asks to go to the nurse's office. A raven goes to attack Shiori, but she re- reveals magical abilities by destroying the bird. All right, this part is so funny. Shiori is like the little Italian purple-haired anime girl. And she's walking down the... Okay, this, this was an actual moment of joy for me. She's walking down the hallway and sees a bird, and then just shoots a laser beam at the bird, and it explodes in the sky. She goes, oh, well... Oops. <laughs> and I'm just like, if that bird wasn't like an evil, you know, whatever, if it wasn't like a messenger of the evil guys, she just shot a bird out of the sky with a laser beam and just went, whoops. Yeah, she kind of did like an Elder Tagoro moment in Yu Hakusho where he yeah. like strangles the birds to death. Yeah, she just blasts a bird out of the sky and without more knowledge of what's going on, it just kind of seems like she randomly killed a bird for no reason. <laughs> anyway, she remarks to herself that she can't stay out of it any longer. Yuka wakes from her blackout as Kakaru and Misuzu duel. Kakaru finds his movements light and agile now that he sucks some titty blood. He uses the eye and predicts Misuzu's next move, hitting her hard and wounding her. He, like, bonks her on the head real hard. He, like, fucks her up, honestly. 
Yuka, <laughs> Yuka walks in and offers Masuzu a hanky for her cut, and then suddenly leans forward and licks her blood, exclaiming, she like she just likes, she's just like Kakaru. Yeah, this is like weird as shit. She like just starts sucking her, sucking her blood. Uh, Yukiko find uh, Yukiko found Takahisa at school, and they share a very warm moment. Kukuri and Masuzu are walking to school, and Masuzu comforts Kukuri about Kakaru. These names, fucking oh my god, about not trusting her. Um, back at the house, Yuka and Kakaru start to do some chores around the house when they hear a noise. Kakaru goes to check it and finds Shiori, who shoots laser beams and yells at him, you're the one who awakened the demon. Takahisa and Yukiko go to meet Psycho and find her strung up magically, dead with Superbia seated beside her. Alright, this is when the edge starts to really come out, and it's so fucking stupid. Yes. Uh, so, it's just, a, uh, it's very funny, because it's like, it's literally like, here's another, here's the eighth episode in a row of, like, just slice of life and nothing happening. And then in the last 10 seconds, we just see the nurse bitch with her titties out, her legs splayed up, spread eagle in the air, she's suspended upside down, and she's dead as fuck. But it looks, like, really weird. It's, like, very... It's definitely horny bait, because she's, like, she's hung up in the weirdest way. I've never seen someone killed in an anime that is this horny. <laughs> it's it's a very horny killing. Whenever, like, you know, the, like, bi-yearly trend of, like, woke people discovering Casca Berserk scenes... Right. This is like what they probably see when they see the Casca scenes. Yeah, this is really fucking weird the way it's presented. It's like I don't I don't even know what to say about this. This probably in the visual novel there was probably something disturbing happening in this point cuz she is like she's got like her tongue lolling out of her mouth, her eyes are like rolled up in her head. She's got her legs totally like spread eagle. She's suspended upside down, her tits are flopping all over the place. It's like really fucking weird. It's it's a very salacious way to like kill an a semi-important character. Uh, for no reason, really. I mean, her dying serves no purpose in this show. I think it was the most, like, supposed to be shocking thing I've ever yeah. seen that made me feel nothing in anime. It's Right, there. yeah. The intent of this is to be, like, shocking, like, a Doki Doki, like, literature club kind of, like, reveal. Like, oh my god, I can't believe... What the fuck? It's supposed to be, like, mind-break levels of, like, oh, shit, shit just got real. But it's really just, like, what? <laughs> what? Why? Yeah, I love the two remotely likable characters. They just off-screen them. Yes, right. She died off-screen. We don't even see her get killed. She is just dead when we find her in the most sexual position we've ever seen a character in this show so far. Oh, my God. Anyways. Superbia... Yeah, that's crazy. Like, she, like you do see her dead body, and it's only to be sexy. Yeah, and Superbia is just, like, drinking coffee and, like, laughing on a chair, going, I killed her. Anyways, next episode. That's when shit gets real. Um. Oh yeah, you're right. It is episode ten when we actually get a thousand years of exposition. I know it's been six episodes of just going. Um, that happened. Yeah. Anyway, episode nine, breaking bonds. Shit actually gets real. After seeing Psycho strung up by Superbia, Takahisa goes into a fit of rage. Exactly what his parents had feared, and thus abandoned him on the streets for, because of. Uh, so apparently he was abandoned because he was really angry. I don't fucking know. Meanwhile, Shiori informs Kakeru that only he can stop the demon. Things start to stir up when Takahisa is revealed to be fighting a Superbia clone. Whatever. And at the same time, Misuzu is fighting the real Superbia. Ooh. Takaru and Kukuri come to aid Misuzu, and Superbia retreats. Misuzu realizes that her Superbia's power, her and Superbia's power, are far too great a distance in strength. All right. They're trying to say Superbia is way stronger than her. And hangs her head in despair. 
Yukiko confronts the group as they are discussing the Black Knights, covered in blood, shaking with tears, and reveal that she killed Takahisa. All right, this episode sucks so bad. Nothing happens, and then then Takahisa is dead, but off screen. So fucking whatever. The only character we liked is died in what probably was an epic battle, but who knows? He just he like he he red pill raged out because his like hot stacked nurse mommy died. So he just is like, I'm going to burn the entire world with my fire powers. And Yukiko goes, no, I love you too much. It's time to die. Um, and then he is dead, but we never see, we never even see his dead body, right? This was no. so annoying. We literally don't even see him dead. He is just, Yukiko is sad and goes, I killed him. And that's it. Um, no, he's just a crash dummy. He is a crash test dummy. Um, so the only other thing I have to say about this episode is that it was so annoying when Misuzu was going, Oh my god, I'm not strong enough. That part was so annoying to me. Because she's like, Superbia's been out there getting stronger, having life experiences with her sword. And I'm just reading books, getting good at the sword. And I'm just like, what the, what, bitch? What the fuck? What are you talking about? What, you've just been reading books? You only are good at swords from book learning? But like, apparent, like according to this character, telling us her backstory before, she has had like countless battles with her own family, like stealing the swords by defeating other people in battle for them. Like she hasn't just been, she hasn't been playing like Tekken and getting really good at fighting because she's like can master the 10 hit combos in Tekken. And then she has to go to the real world and gets killed, like almost killed by somebody who is like an MMA fighter. That's not what has happened. So it's crazy that she presents it as though she lacks real world experience. And that's the reason that she's so weak. I don't fucking get what she's talking about. It's like it's like a five minute sequence of listening to a character whine that she's so weak, and the reason she gives has nothing to do with what we know about the character. I will say, I I guess this is like the only thing I could compliment the show on is like, I still think that um, the you know actually MC you're epic like two episodes before it's over is still better than the ending of Sao. So yes, that is true because he's yeah. epic for the entire show for no reason. Um, yeah, the ending of Sao, I would, I was just like, this is like for eight year olds. The ending, the ending's so bad. Uh, anyways, yeah, uh, not much really goes on in this episode except that people cried that they killed someone or couldn't kill someone, and uh, literally, there's like nothing. There's like nothing there. But yeah, I had, I just have so many problems with the way that Misuzu characterizes herself. I don't understand what she's talking about because she's been fighting in the Red Knight for probably many years now. She's like experienced killing Funko Pops and like fighting Black Knights, and before the even Red Knight shit happened, she's been in Onmyoji training and killing other swordsmen for their swords for who knows how many years. And that's like her entire tragic backstory is based on the fact that she's been fighting for years with the swords. So where is this thing about her not having experience, real world experience with swords coming from? I don't know. Anyway, it's not even important because they immediately forget it as soon as the next episode happens. It just makes me go nuts. Anyway, episode 10, uh, Info Dump. Uh, it's called The Witch Awakens. This is just one episode of just one long info dump for the entire episode. Uh, Shiori comes and tells Kakaru and Misuzu everything about the Red Knight and the Black Knights that wasn't told to us for the last 10 episodes for some reason. Revealing herself to be a young magician and a librarian of a secret magical organization called the Index. Uh, kind of like a certain magical index. Uh, in her explanation, she shows, she shows several key facts, starting with the girl in the crystal, Lizette. Or as I like to call her, Lizette is actually the mirror image of a wicked witch named Lizalot, also known as Lizalot, who seeks to destroy the world to fulfill her lover, a man named, 
Ferrard's dying wish. Uh, this part's so dumb. I don't fucking get what's happening. I don't know what... It's so dumb. Like, who is Verard? He's just, like, some guy who got mad because people kill each other. It's like uh, two edgy teens were like, yo, the world is fucked. Let's, like, kill everybody. And that has been her uh, motivating force for the last, like, millennia. She's been fighting them for, like, centuries. Uh, you know, I have a weird thing, like, with the flashback thing, because yeah. on paper, I like using reincarnation and all this uh -huh. parallels of the bat. I like all this stuff. Um, I I just like the two anime examples I think of are like the worst, most insulting things. And it's this uh -huh. and uh, Seven Deadly Sins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Two, the two things most insulting to your intelligence if you tried to watch and understand them. Yeah. Maybe uh -huh. the editor for Eleven Eyes is why all the fans hear this. I mean, maybe. There could be a connect connection there. Who knows? Um... But yeah, so essentially, uh, Lizalot has been uh, on a mission to destroy the entire world because her boyfriend was pissed that people kill people, like kill each other. So their solution is to kill every living thing in the world and destroy the entire world. Um, which, I mean, there's been lots of anime that have that as the main motivation for the, you know, bad guy or whatever. But it's never, it's never, it's never smart. And in Eleven Eyes, it feels especially stupid, you know? I would yeah. never say that that's like, oh, that's a really great motivating villain thing. But certainly in Eleven Eyes, it feels extra stupid. Um, anyways, as far as I understand it, it's implied that Kakaru is the reincarnation of Varard, the boyfriend with the stupid fucked up eye. Because he's shown in the flashback to have the same eye, eye, eye situation. Anyways, at some random point he died, and then they've been fighting for centuries because Lizalot and the Index have been fighting to keep her from destroying the world. Uh, she is shown blasting a pyramid with a laser. So I thought maybe, <laughs> I thought it would be funny if, like, she's the reason that the uh, Sphinx lost its nose. She, like, shot the Sphinx in the face. Um, anyways, 64 years prior to the uh, start Sorry, of the show. I literally am just like, you'll <laughs> pause, and I'll be like, what do I have to say? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. I'm oh, not even tired. I literally just can't think of anything. One, one very important thing to keep in mind while this is happening. So this is episode 10. There's only two more episodes of the show, and now we're understanding what's happening in the show. But this entire show is just dedicated to telling us what's going on. So th even this episode is not part of the actual conclusion of the show. There's only two episodes that conclude the show. Um, I have finally found my limit for information-dense anime, and it's this. Is it's it. this. It's, yeah. This is it. It's funny because we've talked so much about all the things that happen in the episodes, but so little happens in the other episodes. But then this episode has so much explained to us that your brain's like melting. It's really overwhelming. And I felt like I was a 10th grader that was given like critique of pure reason and was forced right. to like understand it. Yes, right. It does feel like that. You just got you got like jumps jumped up 12 you know, from like fifth grade to, uh, you know, second semester uh, philosophy or whatever. Well, um, what makes Khan such a hard read is he's a bad writer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you don't have your you and your teacher is saying it just gave you homework to decipher it. The teacher's not helping. <laughs> yeah, dense concept, like literally about the most important questions of life with thousands of years of history, and the yep. guy is a bad writer on top of it. And your teacher isn't helping. Yeah. <laughs> well, your teacher is um, dead. She's your teacher's also died and said, if you know, finish it without me. Um, one thing I did have to say because this is not. Uh, this is not in the recap. This entire episode, while this is happening, uh, Yuka has come out in just her bra and panties and is rubbing her tits on Kakaru while this is being related to him. 
So, you know, just keep in mind, sure. as your eyes are glazing over and you're struggling to figure out what's happening, there's also just, like, gratuitous boobies being, like, plopped in your face. Yeah, that's what really made it difficult for me, is, like, he just can't get a break, and he clearly wants one, too. He doesn't want what's happening. He doesn't want these titties on him. He wants to know what the fuck is happening in the world, not titty fest. No, he's getting, like, sexually assaulted, like, the entire anime. Yeah, and in this episode in particular, Yuka has no fucking clue what's going on. She's just like, I think now is the time to get naked. And is like, okay, this oh, is gonna, yeah. this is totally gonna work this time. Also, Shiori says they should bang before this happens. <laughs> you know, which I actually think she's kind of has a point because it's clear that Kakuru is not focusing on what is being told to him. He's kind of missing the what's the all the exposition because he's being distracted by the titties that are rubbing on him. So it honestly kind of makes sense if they just banged it out and finished up, and then she like you know walked away and stopped bothering him, and Kakuru could finally like sit down and actually pay attention to what is being told to him yeah it's it's an interesting pattern it's like he's like can you explain this to me glass shatter and then another version's like can you explain this to me boobs look boobs (laughs) okay but please explain it boobs it's like okay then the the final version is can you explain this to me sure but here's boobs Sure, but now the boobs have been unclothed and are laying across your lap while you have to listen. And we're going to have, like, weird framing and scene changes on top of it. Yeah. This, Kakaru cannot, Kakaru just, like, cannot figure out what's happening in this show. He is just, he is just chronically prevented from ever learning what is happening. Anyways, we'll continue. Uh, Wiki Witch named Lizalot. They were fighting, blah, blah, blah. 64 years before the start of the show. Lizalot was sealed away by the Index using a forbidden spell. However, by doing so, the various members that accomplished it turn into hideous creatures who are now called the, the Black Knights, who guard Lizalot's seal. Uh, so the Black Knights are the people who defeated her, but were present for the ritual of her sealing, and now are turned into funny nipple men with a hammer and, like, a weird witch lady and whatever. Uh, while Lizalot remains trapped... Uh, Let's see, am I in the right spot? While Lizalot remains trapped, due to her immortality, her soul could only be separated. So that is what the Black Knights did. This explanation doesn't make any sense. Who knows? Nobody fucking knows what's going on. So they just say that. Words are just meaningless at a certain point. They split her soul into seven pieces and threw them into different human bodies that resided in different parallel worlds, which have now all been brought together mysteriously in the same world in the form of Kakiru, Yuka, Yukiko, Misuzu, Takahisa, Kukuri, and Shiori. Keep all those names straight. You're going to need to know all these. If all the fragments of her soul are recollected into Lizalot's body, recollected, she can grant her wish to destroy the world by sending it into hell via the Black Moon. This makes the Black Knights hunt them for their souls. Shiori is forced to stop when the Red Knight appears, and the group is immediately engaged in battle. Holy shit. Meanwhile, <laughs> Yukiko, who is grieving for Takahisa, I'm just powering through it and we can talk about it, uh, now seeks vengeance against the Black Knights and goes alone to fight them. Yuka tries to protect Kakeru, but faints again for some reason. I guess she didn't get enough sex from him or something. And Kakeru locks her in Kakeru locks her in a classroom. Kakeru locks her in a closet to keep her from bothering him and putting her titties in his face, and joins the others to search for Yukiko. Meanwhile, Yukiko loses to Misao. Who gruesomely... Who is Misao? Is that one of the Black Knights? We never saw... No, we didn't know this one before. Who gruesomely kills Yukiko and takes her fragment of Lizalot's soul. This is when uh, 
she gets her underpants blasted off so that they can get the fragment of her soul, which is in her torso. It's not in her underwear. They go, I need to get the soul fragment from your body. So they blast all of her clothes, underwear and bra off to get at her stomach, the center of her torso. Misao <laughs> is the girl that is in the kimono. Mm. Misao, she's she's the the one that's related to Misuzu, right? Yeah, I don't But her I name is Superbia. When, she, when she's a black knight, she's named Superbia, so I got confused. <laughs> yeah, she's weird because she's like aligns herself with them, but isn't actually aligned with their interests. Yeah, it's weird because the other Black Knights don't seem like they can just randomly take their armor off and be a normal human. But she, for some reason, can just be like, ah, me sound now, hee hee. And then, oh, actually, I'm Superbia again. Fuck you. She's um, from the lineage of, like, the Samurai Girls right. clan, She's I one think. of the own Miyoji. Uh, but I think she was just one of the people who helps attack Lizalot, right? I don't think she... I, don't, I think that's her thing, is that she, she joined together to kill Lizalot, and then she became a Black Knight, but also she can just take her armor off whenever she wants to. She wasn't She's just, just some random bitch that showed up and, like, yeah. shows she, random sides, almost. Yeah, she isn't a twisted mockery of humanity. She's just, like, a girl who puts on black armor sometimes, but also she's evil superbia when she has the armor on. She's um, kind of like the, uh, like, Oniwabo group or whatever. Yeah, she's no like, Oniwabon group style lady. Yeah, she's, they're like, she's a gray character. Yeah, she's evil, but sometimes she's not evil. Who what a charitable way to describe a character that is as thin as fucking paper. <laughs> Except that she's really fucking evil when she is superbia. Yeah, that's so, true, I guess. Anyway, we'll, we'll, I want to talk about that as soon as this 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 episode recap is over. It's uh, still that out. I'm not over yet. It's not over yet. Hold on. She gruesomely kills Yukiko by blasting her underpants off and stealing a so her soul from her torso, which will prevent Yukiko from regenerating. Uh, when Kakaru, Misuzu, and Shiori arrive, they find Yukiko's dead body there, but Yuka suddenly appears and takes Yukiko's fragment from Isao, throwing it towards the red crystal. Hmm. When the steel is destroyed, Lizette, now lies a lot, awakens. This part's so fucking dumb. What the fuck is happening? Who the fuck knows what's going on? Anyway, You know, I thought they needed, like, all the crystals to, like, awaken her, but it's yeah. like a it's Sukuna so fingers thing where, like, Sukuna yeah. can be revived with two fingers, not 20. Yeah, so literally from one crystal, she breaks out of what from one crystal shard soul thing, she breaks out of the imprisonment that she's been in for forever. And it's like, wait, that's all it took? Um, and also, like this this explanation. So in the in the episode, all the characters suddenly go, wait, we're the baddies? And the black knights are the goodies? That happened. Like someone I think someone literally says, wait, we're the bad guys, right? Yeah. Uh, it's so fucking dumb. The way this is presented, because the black everything Knight... is so very unserious. The black knights just seem like they sit around, and also the main characters, like the fragments, just sit around too. Yeah, um, we didn't really talk about it, but the we want to make it clear when Superbia kills the nurse bitch, making Takahisa go fucking crazy and get killed by Yukiko. That all happens in the real world. That doesn't happen in the Red Knight. She has now shown that she can come into the real world whenever she wants at the cost of. Who knows? She says her a life vague works. currency. Yes, a vague life-related currency that has no plot relevance. She goes, actually, it's it's you know, I could have done this whenever I wanted to. I could have you said it before. You go, why didn't they just show up and kill them in their sleep? Because they, they obviously can show up and kill random people whenever they want to. And it's it's just like if the black knights are just randomly ganking people, <laughs> how do you say that they are the good guys? They obviously just do evil shit whenever it is fine with them. 
And they are clearly not acting in any way to keep the world safe because they're just killing people randomly and causing like when Takahisa goes into when Takahisa gets nuts from the nurse dying, he like kills what presumably is hundreds of people in the city because he's going crazy. We never see any of them die because the the show is horrible and won't show us NPCs for any reason. But you know, presumably he's caused widespread destruction and off screen has killed a bunch of people that then he also dies off screen, but whatever. It's just like the Black Knight's plan makes no fucking sense at all. What was the, what were the Black Knights trying to do? I don't know if they even had a plan. Yeah. How are they the good guys if the only plan they had was to randomly kill some high schoolers and kill everyone around them and also make them kill everyone around them and then maybe have some crystals that if they accidentally get too close to the main crystal that they all hang out next to, will just suck the crystal in and then cause the end of the world. I, I don't know what the goal was. It's kind of like, also, since they could teleport to the real world, like, they're humans, they sleep at a point, like, go there, cut off their head, and yeah. then, like, you're done, but... I... Well, here's the thing, though, that doesn't make any sense. The crystals, that they're so worried about the crystals getting to the, the trapped lies a lot, hmm. they, they seem like they, they don't interact with the crystal unless the crystals are out of their bodies, right? Yeah. So, presumably, the safest place for the crystals is to be inside the bodies of the living humans who have them in there because they're not coming out unless someone pulls them out. And the Black Knights are the ones who pull the crystals out of the dead body of Yukiko, and then suddenly the crystal can interact with the, the prison that fu the fucker is in, inside of. Until she pulled the crystal out, there was no chance for the crystal interacting with the, the prison. Well, literally the dumbest thing happens and some yes. dumb bitch goes off and commits suicide, basically. Yeah, literally she pulls the crystal out of Yukigo's body and goes, teehee, now I have the crystal now. Which, why? First off, why do you want to hold the crystal? And then second off, Yuki just walks up and goes, I want the crystal! And then she grabs the crystal and throws it at the prison and then the bitch like, explodes out and the witch is, the witch is here. Like what? Yuka is the most unlikable character I've seen Yuka's, in a recent anime. Yuka is so insanely unlikable. It's so funny. We didn't even talk about this. Why is this not in the recap? Yuka put razor blades in Misuzu's tea while they were talking about this, uh, while they were doing this exposition dump. <laughs> yeah, I really try to like be open-minded to like female characters or like bad writing or something. I mm -hmm. have nothing. Well, I, here, she is the worst character. This is why I said... This is why she Yuka is essentially the reason why I said this reminds me of Doki Doki Literature Club. Because it's the most it's it's such a wild swing that she goes from like an airhead with no character to like evil, crazy uh psycho bitch who also tries to kill everyone. And it's just like it's it's had it been on purpose that this was like a real turn so that you'd be surprised by it it would be like a Doki Doki style thing where you're surprised and part of the story is like the flipping of expectations. This is just like, she she definitely does not, she she definitely upends my expectations, but for no discernible reason, except that she is a crazy wacko who like, essentially is just like dick hungry for Kakaru. <laughs> and as soon as she yeah, sees and... Kakaru like stuck in a titty from someone who isn't her, she's just like, oh, might as well destroy the entire world since he's not, you know, sucking my boobies or whatever. I feel like whatever we watch after this, I will just be so charitable. Uh, I, I, I'm really excited to see basic aspects of storytelling. <laughs> yeah, I just... The only thing worse than this could be Lucha Lucha. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's, that's all I have to say. We saw two long episodes. I, uh, 
we've been going so long that yeah. I want to go to sleep. So. We're almost done. We're almost done. Let's hurry up. Okay. Uh, that was that episode's really long, and there's there's so much revealed that it makes me have a lot to respond to because this is the first time we actually know the plot of the show. Ten episodes in, and the plot makes no sense based on what we've just seen. What we've just seen completely is negated by them telling us what's actually happening in the show. I know it's our fault for trying to take this seriously, but it is still honestly for whatever it's worth the amount of stuff they did try to do at the end or like what they put into the story yeah i applaud in like a very just like ridiculous way i guess well yeah it's like watching like it's like watching like an an uncoordinated 11 year old like dive into a half pipe and try to do like a 720 yeah and then he like just like falls on his head and the skateboard like bursts into flames and hits like a cameraman and then the cameraman falls off the half pipe and dies and stuff it's like so, so much was attempted and an absolute shit show was the result. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Uh, I feel like I'm watching like a Royal Rumble of bad ideas. Almost. Yes. Yes. They just keep throwing more stupid ideas in and they haven't even thrown the last ideas out of the ring yet. And another one crowds in like, like big show just walks in at, the big show of bad ideas walks in and starts like slapping everyone around and people are just getting knocked all over the place. Yeah, like a celebrity in a dress will come out, then like Vince yeah. Russo comes out, then like yeah. <laughs> Doink the Clown comes out. It's like I don't know yeah. what to do anymore. Then Santino has his like snake uh arm onesie and he starts yeah, slapping people good. with the arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then Santino gets eliminated and he comes out and drag as the girl said. Yeah, exactly, her. exactly. Yeah, that's that's what it's like by episode ten, eleven, and twelve that's what like those episodes feel like. And there, there's not enough people getting thrown over the top. No, the, episode, the bad ideas all just stay here, and they won't go away. It was like instead of like Shawn Michaels and Triple H and like Kurt Angle or something, it's like groping, bad powers, and edginess, like all three in the ring for like over an hour. Yes. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the episode eleven and get this shit out. Like, we gotta finish. We gotta just go. <laughs> Uh, episode 11, the choice called destruction. Lies a lot awakens and proceeds to kill Yuka and absorb her fragment. She just shoots a beam at the bitch and goes like, here you go, time to die. Uh, Kakaru envisions the flashback and tries to reflect the power, but fails. Uh, so he has some precognition. He, he fails uh, to save her. So, oops, he fucked up. Now that Yuka and Yukiko's fragments have been absorbed, Lies a lot gains her dark powers again, even though she kind of already had them. I don't know what the second fragment does. Avarisha in order to <laughs> Avarisha is the uh, the main guy, I guess. In order to protect the remaining fragments, teleports Masuzu and Kakaru out of the Red Knight while Shiori stays behind to fight Lizalot alongside Misao and Avarisha. <laughs> in his dragon form, Georges. <laughs> George the Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> this is so dumb. I hate uh, this part. Uh, this part sucks. Uh, so Kakaru and uh, Masuzu are like are just like te- like kicked out. They're like, fuck you, get out of the Red Knight. We'll fight over here. And then they all use powers we didn't know they had before. And the lead guy goes, I'm actually George the Dragon, and I shoot my beam at you, Lizalot. And he does a giant, enormous dragon beam. <laughs> and it's just, I don't even know what to say about that. What the hell? Uh, and then, meanwhile, Kakaru and Misuzu are just hanging out, essentially, in high school, going, wow, I hope they don't die. Uh, and try to That's find out. That's the worst cut, by the way. It's is so there's stupid. a giant, awesome dragon. Yes. And yes. all the leaders of the different factions are about to fight the like evil witch or whatever. Yes, it's so annoying. Shiori, who's the head magic 
you know, chick. Misao, who is like the ultimate samurai onmyoji, and Avarisha, now George the Dragon, all go, time to have our ultimate battle! And then it cuts away. And then it's just, it's literally the rest of the episode is Kakura and Misuzu talking, essentially, while they know that a battle is happening. <laughs> Misuzu hmm. and Yukakuru try to find out if Yuka is still alive, which, I mean, try to find out. They don't have a way of doing that because they, they aren't where she is. So they just sit there and speculate if she's still alive and try to find their way back into the Red Knight. As Shiori is about to be absorbed and killed by Lizalot, Kukuri appears and transforms into Abraxas, the spirit inhabiting her body, and Misao tries to hold Lizalot still while George the Dragon fires a blast at them. Okay, this is when Kukuri, Kakuru's sister, who we think died forever ago, she uh, shoots some chains, and then a naked BDSM angel pops out of her, and then the rest of the fight, presumably, is going to be with a naked BDSM angel also joining the battle while George the Dragon shoots beams. And then we go cut back away from that again. They keep cutting to just show us a new guy joining the fight. And then they cut away from the fight again. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, this part. Uh, in Yuka's world, as the Black Moon is coming closer. OK, so this is not explained in the recap, but Yuka has the power to uh, influence the... She doesn't just have the power of negation, like they say before. What she actually has is the power to control an entire parallel world that she lives in, right? So, um, it's so poorly explained, but the, the, the fragments all have gone into different parallel worlds, and we don't know just yet what has happened, but in, Yuka gets the crystal in her parallel world, and that proceeds to her having, like, um, let me get this, let me get this right. Uh, she essentially gets Haruhi Suzumiya powers, like that old anime where the girl is like the god of the whole world and like they have to keep her happy or else she like kills the whole oh, world. Oh, yeah. Sure. The, mel the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. She essentially gets that power, but she's also like a Yandere, like psycho, naked, weird lolly girl. You so, are deep with the anime references. Holy shit. I told you to, to talk about this show, you need to talk about all the stuff that it is referencing. And oh, this man. one definitely like sticks out to me. It's like she just has this power, which is she has all power. She controls the whole world, and you need to keep her from going psycho to uh, keep the world from getting exploded. Anyway, when they are kicked out of the red, the red knight, uh, Kukuri and Masuzu realize they are in Yuka's world, and that Kukuri, all the characters, this the whole show we've been watching essentially is in the parallel world that is Yuka's world, and the other parallel worlds we haven't seen. So that. I mean, it's not told outright, kind of, but we have to imply that is what has been going on this whole time. Whenever <laughs> weird shit happens and Yuka has power over it randomly, it's because we're in Yuka's world, parallel world, essentially. Um, anyways, we'll continue with that. Uh, the Black Moon is coming closer. Uh, the world is essentially ending. We, see, we don't see any humans, because obviously we could not see humans in, a, in an anime with this kind of budget. But everything is being eaten up by like a black hole void that's in the sky. Uh, and we can assume that people are dying, but who knows? We don't know what the actual human cost of all this like uh, shit that's being blown up and pulled up into the sky is, but we can assume it's bad. Uh, but Kakaru yeah. and Masuzu discuss what they should do if the others fail. Uh, they can assume that George the Dragon isn't going to be able to kill Liza a lot, so they have to like do like a backup plan and proceed to do a quote-unquote ritual, which is them fucking, to power up Kakaru's abilities. Uh, yeah, so there's they, no like artistic deconstruction. There's no, there's nothing. They just have sex. Yeah, it's very funny. Masuzu just goes, 
all right, you're gonna need to power up. And the only power up, the way to power you up is if we become one uh, and then they fuck, that's it. And they also if, don't drink blood or anything. They just have sex. They just bone. And this is obviously visual novel ter- logic territory, I'm assuming. You know, what else could this be but that? <laughs> but I do find it really funny because Kakaru goes, no, this might be cheating on Yuka. She'd be so sad. But we literally just saw Yuka get like blown up. Yuka is dead and she was a psycho. And she also tried to kill Misuzu with razors in her tea. So why is this guy like worried that he might kind of be cheating on his dead girlfriend? <laughs> also, um, I guess it's just kind of weird that like, they don't drink any blood or anything. You just like, want them to be drinking blood. <laughs> no, but you get what I mean. Like, her whole power transfer is, like, blood and stuff. So they just uh, have normal sex, and then they do the meme again, where she just, like, falls asleep. Well, first, yeah, first Kakaru falls asleep, like, twice while they're fucking. <laughs> that part's very funny. Yeah, like, I, I don't know why in this anime, like, they just fall asleep when they're being horny. It's but... very funny. Uh, they obviously this is a like a TV fourteen style anime, so we don't see actual you know sex or whatever, but we see a lot of like shaking around and grunting and uh, you know whatever stuff. And then my like I said, my favorite part is Kakaru is like his eyes are closed and he looks like he's sleeping, and we just see like Misuzu going to town on him, <laughs> but it looks like he's passed out. <laughs> hmm. Anyways, that that happens, and obviously Kakaru gets a mega super duper ultra power up because now he got the bone for once. Um, um this um, happened and that happened and then he anyways a crack that leads uh, a crack that leads them to the red knight opens so just like a a a tear opens up in space essentially randomly after they bone and misao appears behind them and tells them that her love avaricia george the dragon has died abraxas was killed she already committed suicide and she's probably about to die too um and she tells them indirectly that this too might happen to Misuzu. In this case, Kakaru. Uh, I don't know what that means. They're both going to die, is what she's kind of saying. After Misao dies, Yuka comes out. All right, so before we get to that, it just it's so lame that they're like, yes, all the ultimate cool guys with powers have died off screen. And now I'm just here to tell you about it, and then I'm going to die too. That's so lame. <laughs> the whole I thing. do think it's so awesome to do the it was just a dream thing, but mm-hmm. well, we haven't all of the yet. bad... Oh, never mind. We'll get there. But yeah, it no, is. No, but I'm is... saying the cool characters still say that all the bad stuff happens, but it was also just a dream. Yes. Yeah. It's it's yeah. just so stupid. It's so funny. This this is when I'm starting to have fun with the show. This is why we, we said both, I think, that the show improves at, like as it not improve. It doesn't get good, but it gets better from where it starts because this is when the show gets so stupid and crazy and over the top that I'm like definitely I'm at least having fun, like looking at how dumb everything is. Anyways, uh, after Misao dies, stupidly, Yuka pops out of the hole. As Kakaru walks towards her, um, well, <laughs> before that, <laughs> Yuka pops out and mm. then looks at Misuzu's titties out and then looks at Kakaru with his shirt off. And then she, she makes the funniest face I've seen in an anime in a very, very long time. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good one. She, she just goes, no thoughts, head empty, like face. But she has like a little smile on her mouth. It's so funny. She go. She looks at the titties, looks at Kakaru, and then she goes, "Duh, okay." <laughs> I felt like the girl had so much shame from this zero IQ dead stare that it yeah, was incredible. It's so funny. It's it's really. I don't know if you can credit the animators for having like done a good job, but so much is communicated in that face. <laughs> it's really fucking funny. Oh, it's amazing. It's it's like should be the default like. 
head empty like yeah i feel life on npc mode yeah i feel like it it's like a tailor made for like a 4chan like post like like meme face you know the iconic one with the girl with the blonde hair and like big eyes or whatever i don't know probably i've probably seen it i don't know oh it's you'd have to pull it up but i feel like this is a great this is almost like maybe the best one for a no thoughts head empty i'm a dumb little baby like post about you know self-deprecating it's like yeah yeah yes it is so close to that it's so close to that except that it's like (laughs) the eyeballs aren't like mutant eyeballs they just well i think it's even funnier because it is just a very normal image of an anime girl yes i agree it's normal but she just looks so dumb in that moment anyway kudos to the animators it's so funny i i giggled i giggled a lot when i saw that face anyways Yuka says, ha ha ha, wow, I love you, Kakaru, tee I'm ignoring that you guys just boned. And they, like, he walks towards her because they want to, like, hug or some shit. He's, like, relieved that she's alive. Anyway, Kakaru walks towards her. Oh, he you is... did forget one thing. Yes. <laughs> On the rooftop when they kiss the weird angle, oh, I guess. Oh, yeah, I guess before we get to the end of this episode, we should talk about that. Uh, right right when uh, Misuzu goes, I think we should bone to power you up. Uh, she leans in for a kiss. And the <laughs> this is it. That was a cheer for the animators with the Yuka face. This is a jeer for the animators on this uh, kiss on Kakaru's face, which is like physically impossible. It defies physics the way that they've drawn it because Misuzu leans in for a kiss and comes in from profile from the side. But Kakaru's face is front on, like at a perpendicular angle to Misuzu's face, but they connect the lines as though their their lips are touching. It's so weird. Like I I wanted, I I had you pause it because I was like, look at the, what is... What is happening? The line, the faces don't line up at all. Uh, so they have a sexy kiss, but it just, it's like the least logical, like physically possible kiss that I've ever seen in an anime. It is awesome because I don't know. I'm like learning to draw. And it, right. It was yeah. Very funny. This is a great instructive lesson for you because it's like, don't do that. <laughs> it's so dumb. Her nose is like completely to this. Her nose, if she kissed him this way, would be like broken off because of the way that his. His uh uh he, where his face is. Uh, anyways, it's very noticeable too. It's not like a yeah. small mint thing. It, it's very like it's well, it takes up the whole screen. You're looking right at it, and you're like, that doesn't work. <laughs> anyways, moving on from the jeers. Uh, as Kakaru walks towards Yuka, he is stabbed by Lizalot using Yuka's body, and has his body and the eye of Aeon absorb into her. She also absorbs Misuzu <laughs> for good measure. Who gives a fuck? Lizalot <laughs> remembers her discussion with Virard about destroying the world. It seems that everyone's dead. Then Yuka says, and the two of us lived happily ever after, and Kakaru disagrees on the ending. Uh, this is when I go, oh, well, I guess it's over. Uh, don't know how there's going to be one more episode of this. <laughs> and then they actually, you know, get me in the second half. Uh, we'll go to uh, episode 12 now. I don't really want to talk anymore about this episode because we're just moving on. Uh, episode 12, Daybreak of the Dark Knight. As it turns out, all of the events in episode 11 were just Kakaru's vision of what would happen if he were to if he were to protect Yuka from Lizalot's attack. Uh, this is essentially Kakaru sees into the bad the bad ending of the visual novel that he's in and continues on to do the good ending. Uh, determined to forestall these events from occurring, Kakaru instead decides to kill himself to pre- prevent Lizalot from taking his eye. Don't understand how this works, but whatever. They had to have suicide in there for some Gotta reason. Gotta have. They already had suicide at the beginning of the show, but whatever. They had to have a dramatic ending for it. It doesn't matter. I we'll talk about it. There but... was another suicide. Oh, yeah. The show starts with it. Oh, my bad. <sighs> After stabbing himself, he has a flashback and remembers all of his childhood memories, particularly how Yuka always looked out for him. 
To his surprise, he wakes up in the infirmary. Masu I'm, gonna really, I'm really powering for this quick, okay? Masuzu explains that he is alive because Yuka nullified the sword and he stabbed himself, and that uh, Lizalot couldn't fight due to it. Yuka's ability about also nullifying her powers. Kakaru then notices Yuka sleeping in the bed next to his. Shiori appears and introduces Kakaru to Abraxas, the spirit that his sister Kukuri had hosted within her body. She further explains how Kukuri is still alive. Okay, this is more exposition. This is going to suck to follow along. Kukuri is still alive and how Abraxas killed Kakaru in another world, among other things. The group feels that the world shift and catches and watches Yuka is absorbed into the bed. Uh, so what happened is that uh, all the shit, Kukuri and Kakaru killing each other and suicide... All that stuff happened in parallel worlds. Don't worry about it. Fuck, we have to move on. Uh, Yuka is absorbed by the bed. The group races to the roof to find that the Black Moon is near. near. Lizalot has sealed Yuka in a crystal and also taken all of her clothes off for no reason, and that she is unable to use her nullification power. Kakaru demands Yuka's return and agrees to Lizalot's demand that he give himself up. Chiori and Abraxas attack Lizalot but fail. The two remaining Black Knights arrive to give assistance. Superbia shields Kakaru and Avarisha engages Lizalot, stalling her for a short time. Abraxas uses the time gained by Avarisha to give Shiori's fragment to Kakaru. And Superbia informs him that the Eye of Aeon and Shiori's fragment, which has the ability to travel through space-time, he may be able to steal Lizalot in a dimensional rift. Uh, okay, uh, Shiori is the only character in the show who is able to freely transfer from parallel worlds. So the whole reason she knows what the fuck's going on is because her crystal fragment is the only one not tied to one particular world. She's been traveling to different worlds and meeting the different characters who all have the crystals inside them. And Yuka has been subconsciously pulling the other characters who have these abilities into her parallel world. Like, uh, Kakaru was in a different parallel world, and uh, Kukuri killed herself in that world but didn't kill him in that world. But because Yuka loved him and didn't want him dead in this parallel world that she was in, she pulled the living one into her world, and now he, she lives in his world. And who the fuck knows what's going on? Um, anyway. Um, uh, the By the way, another character teleported like earlier in the show to a different dimension. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Whatever. Who, who the fuck cares? The Red Knight reappears, and Misuzu draws the forbidden Dujikiri Yatsu Yasutsuna sword to shield Kakaru. This is the fucked up sword that she's not supposed to use because it's like a demon sword and it makes her arm look all funny. Who cares? While Kakaru is facing off with Lizalot, the voice of Velad, the former bearer of the eye, uh, Kakaru's reincarnation guy, the one with the funny eye, appears in Lizalot's mind, stating that it is foolish to destroy the world. Wow, who could have thought that it's not smart to destroy the world just because you're sad that people kill each other? Lizalot, however, no longer cares about destroying the world to avenge Velad, but is instead determined to attain the Eye of Aeon, a fragment of the Emerald Tablet for herself, and she's going to kill everybody anyway, who gives a fuck. Together, Misuzu and Misao counter the power Lizalot is releasing, but she disappears. Kakaru, using the Eye of Aeon, saw where Lizalot was going to reappear, so there's a lot of teleporting behind you, nothing personal kid sort of shit happening here. Um, literally what happens is Lizalot teleports to get away from these guys, like, trying to stop her. She goes, nothing personal, I teleport behind you. And then uh, uh, Misao also teleports behind you and goes, nothing personal, I'm teleporting behind you to stop you from teleporting behind them. And then That was my favorite moment when I said teleports behind you, and yeah, then I was, like, shocked, and then he said, you're dumb. <laughs> they didn't yeah. stand smart to you. Yeah, you, you made a joke about it, and I go, Steph, looks like you don't know about teleporting behind you, because after Misao teleports behind Shiori teleporting behind them, uh, Kakaru also teleports behind Misao teleporting behind Shiori teleporting behind them and that's when your mind was blown your mind was broken after that tele yeah, last teleport it's so fucking stupid and that's when I was like this show rocks it's actually they won me over in this part because it's so fucking funny because it's like teleport behind you oh wait no you teleported behind me oh, no you teleported behind her it's, it's if like I a, ever get in like a shonen debate of someone complaining I just have like every episode of Eleven Nights to bust out. Yeah, I think you are now better off for having seen this show because you've seen things so stupid that no other anime has ever attempted them. 
Oh yeah, being able to reference this is Yeah, this is now fantastic. a point of reference. This is like this is now a point of reference as the lowest that anime can kind of like descend to as far as we've seen so far. Yeah, without being like X-Arm or something right. like that. Right. Well, I'm saying just X-Arm might be better than this. X-Arm might be funnier than this. <laughs> but yeah. this episode it, this episode is pretty funny. Um where was I? There was so much teleporting. I hold on a second. Um Kakaru using the Eye of Aeon saw where Lizalot was going to reappear and surprises her. Uh, yep, this before Misao also teleports. Anyway, when he uses Shiori's fragment to seal her away, Lizalot tries to flee but is hindered by Avarisha and the two of them are drawn into it and, and in the dimensional rift contained in their crystal fragment. As a result of Lizalot's disappearance, Yuka is freed and the Red Knight, uh, but her clothes are still off, and the Red Knight starts to collapse. Misao uses what appears to be the last of her energy to return Kakaru, Yuka, and Misuzu to the real world. A world of peace. In this world, only Kakaru, Yuka, and Misuzu are aware of the events of the Red Knight. So they've come into another parallel world, different than the one they were in, where all the fucked up shit didn't happen. Yukiko and Takahisa, along with Saiko, are alive, but have forgotten about the Red Knight. I mean, forgotten or just never knew about it, who knows? And, uh, and they also forgot that they knew Kakaru and the others. The story ends with Misuzu asking Kakaru and <laughs> Yuka if they want to accompany her to Ayanas. Ayanas? That's the mall where all this shit started. Uh, whatever. As Kakaru looks up in the sky with his eye of Aeon, he sees that the Black Moon still exists. Also, he sees up Yuka's skirt for one last time because this bitch won't leave him alone. The episode concludes with the text, Akarat on John Yalholnop, which I guess is Hungarian, which means, will you come tomorrow? Which may imply a future sequel or a second season. Hopefully not. <laughs> um... They did say earlier in the show that they were fighting for tomorrow. So I guess the concept of like there being a tomorrow is like a big theme in the show. It, I mean, but it's so stupid and dense that it's hard to like realize that. It's just like if you think about it, that's what that's about. Um, yeah, this episode's a complete fucking shit show. It's totally crazy. It doesn't stop being totally nuts the entire time, and it's the it's definitely the most fun I think I had in the in the show. Yeah, I guess you know it is good that. Episode 11 is probably the stupidest, and episode 12 is probably the most fun. Yeah, I mean, episode 11 is good, because it's like, it's their attempt to go, here's the bad path in a visual novel, and they really just kill everybody, and it's fucked up and weird. And the sex ritual is all weird and fucked up. I like that all that stuff happened. It's it's also funny, people pointed this out, I was reading the comments in, in uh, the, the website I was watching this from, people were commenting in episode 12, like, Damn, this guy this guy's precognition was so good that he got to fantasize about fucking this other girl he has a crush on. And then he went back to the real world and he was like, okay, well, not doing that. I'm gonna actually save the world. <laughs> he did the like water sexy sleep ritual. Yeah, seriously. He had like a horrible nightmare of him getting to bone the other hot chick in the show and then seeing the world end. And it was like, all right, I'll just like not I'll just actually save the world instead. But it is very funny that in his in his darkest fantasies of the world ending, he still got the bone though. <laughs> I think that's God tier that the two like like you're you're like oh what's the worst thing you could imagine I guess having I sex with sex. the hottest girl and then the girl that kills me still wants to have sex with me <laughs> yeah it's so funny but also like just that part of the show they boned for essentially no reason because he got a power up and then immediately died it's I was like, like okay they with the sex too I thought that was like okay finally they're just having sex now. Well, yeah, I mean, they, like, broke the seal because, like, finally they fucking just did the thing that's been on the mind of the entire... Sh it's been on the mind of the show the entire time. They The show wanted someone to bone. <laughs> so, glad they got it out of the way. But it's, like, it's so funny because they get the power up and he goes, 
ah, Kakaru, you're so much stronger now that my your Kakaru has been inside me. And um, then he immediately turns around. That was good. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Little Kakaru. Four hour fucking banger at the you end. Know, I've, been, I've been building up to that for the last three hours. Um, uh, yeah, he got the power You've up. You've been building up for Kakaru. For little Ju- Kakaru Junior, yeah. <laughs> um, um, he gets the power up, and then then Yuka goes, "Hey, what's up?" And then stabs him, and he dies immediately. So it's like, why, why, why did that all happen? It just so he could get laid. There wasn't even any point to the power up. It was just so they could bone as the world was ending. Uh, anyway, whatever. Who the fuck cares? Should we talk about the OVA? This show was a shit show. We can talk about the OVA to finish it off. Uh, Lens. I don't even want to spend too much time. I'll, I'll give it a two sentence generate. review. I'll give it a two sentence review. There okay. is an OVA after the the thing. Uh, the OVA is called Pink Phantasm and Dream Story. Uh, it's just horny porno shit. Who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter. They do a they do a sexy horny version of the Red Knight called the Pink Knight, and I have a pink nightmare, and uh, it's not worth watching. We turned it off five minutes in because it was intensely horny and served no purpose. Yeah. That's all so, I have to say about the OVA. Watch it before, if you're watch it if you're still horny. <laughs> so before we head to the end, we have two more stops. Firstly, is there anything on Movie's Corner this week? This has been going on for so long that we're gonna do another express stop on Movie's Corner. Choo choo, let's make it quick. Um like I said before we started the recap, the only way to talk about this show is in relation to its blatant or subtle, not very subtle, thievery from other anime that was contemporaneous or before. This definitely, I'd say of all the anime I've seen, this is the one that cops the most heavily from like other media that exist and just has no creative like ideas that are unique to itself compared, like, compared to other anime. Um, and yeah. I was doing some research about this show and in the comments of the show, I, of the, you know, the website I was using, Everyone was talking about how this is a very Persona-like show. I also thought it was like Persona 4, personally. Like, in the sense that it's a bunch of high schoolers who are horny, and they get sucked into alternate worlds. There's often a red filter over at least a couple of the worlds. And, like, I I don't know. I don't fucking know. I guess I could work harder to draw more parallels, but, like, I just generally feel like the setup about how the show works is, like, they just kind of randomly go to these Red Knight-type places, and they go into a dungeon randomly sometimes whenever it's convenient, and then they have slice-of-life shit that doesn't matter and they all are trying to date each other. That's like kind of the parallels that I was seeing with Persona 4. But sure. this is the part of the Moopy's Corner. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and everyone was saying it's way more like Persona 3. And I found a 33-part YouTube series comparing Persona 3 to Eleven Eyes. So if anyone is curious, I haven't finished this yet, but it seemed like immediately there were a lot of parallels. If anyone is curious, this is a nine-year-old... These are nine-year-old videos, and the guy reading them is pretty strange, but... Uh, hopefully he doesn't hear this and feel insulted, but shout out to Star War Star Six Wars One, you, the YouTuber, uh, who has made Persona Three vs. Eleven Eyes, and he breaks down like thirty-three dis- different aspects of the show that he's compared to Eleven Eyes: the introduction, the uh, high school, the characters, the side characters, the protagonists, the powers, uh, various other aspects, the music, and other things like that. So if you want to give that a watch and you're still curious about the show for whatever fucking reason, I hope you're not, but if you are, check out Star 6 Wars 1's Persona 3 vs. Eleven Eyes YouTube series <laughs> if you really are that much of a glutton for punishment. That is the end of Movie's Corner. Let's get the fuck out of here. I will also just compliment him for having like 30 character analysis videos for Eleven yep. Eyes. That's insane. I haven't even done that 
for like Yu Yu Hakusho or something. This is someone who was very devoted to this for whatever reason. <laughs> I maybe so. have like 12 Yu Yu Hakusho videos and I'm like, oh, looks like I'm out of content. And this guy yeah. made something out of 12 episodes somehow. So 12 very bad episodes. Oh, yeah. Anyways, that is all for Movies Corner. Go f- check that out if you are curious and need... If you are like me and want to look deeper for meaning that isn't there, go check this out. <laughs> yeah, it can all be summed up by a comment of a 2008 image of a bird screaming in the Texas confused screaming. In... Yes, that is the first comment on the first episode of Eleven Eyes in the uh, comment section of uh, the discussion forum that I was seeing this in. And it gets so, worse. It yeah, gets it worse. It only gets worse from episode one. So the confused screaming never ends and only increases in intensity. <laughs> what would you rate Eleven Eyes? Would you recommend Eleven Eyes? And if so, who would you recommend it to? I rate this uh, two out of Eleven Eyes. Clap it up. Um, I got brief moments of joy from laughing at how horrible this was. So I wouldn't say that it was completely devoid of any enjoyment, but it is very... I had to add an extra number so not out of 10, it's actually out of 11, just to show my disappointment here. It's, a, it's on a two. It's out of two. Would I recommend um, it? Uh, I would recommend this to people who are horny. Yes, if you're horny and you don't want to watch porn, you can watch this. Um, I would recommend this to someone who wants to know how bad anime can get but doesn't want to watch X-Arm. Um, and I would not recommend this to any other normal person, no. Yeah, this is a solid... Three out of ten for me, and I would recommend it to either people like Movie, who's gonna watch random anime anyway, yes, or people like me who just truly need to feel the depths of hell every once in a while. Right. If you want to really feel bad watching an anime, then yes, this is the show for you. I I honestly wouldn't recommend this to people who watch anime like I do sometimes, which is I often use anime as a background noise sort of thing in my studio when I'm working. I'll just put something on and it. If it's generic and trashy, that's fine. Like, I'll put One Piece on sometimes and, like, just, you know, let it, let it run. There's thousands of episodes. Just let the shit run. I'm not paying t- attention to it. It's just noise in the background. But there is occasionally you can look over and there's something fun happening or whatever. This has very few moments of joy. And it's so generic and bad that there's, like, no nothing to be, like, gained out of listening to it. Um, listening to it, like, uh, without paying full attention. Because the only time that there is anything fun to be gotten out of it is you actually have to be looking for like moments of stupidity and paying close attention to how crazy the shit is happening. If you are not paying attention to this, this is just noise with essentially no plot and just occasionally there's titties flashing on screen. So I guess that's what it's useful for. It's time to spin the wheel. All right, let's spin the wheel and get out of here. Come on. You see the wheel? I see the wheel. Are you okay? I'm, I'm reaching my limit. okay um yeah i guess we could watch this we have rolled onto record of lodas war this is a brain dead anime about a DD campaign that happened in real life turned into an anime from what i know of it i've only seen a bit of it i haven't seen the whole thing movie are you ready (laughs) am i ready for you not wanting to watch this Punishment wheel. Let's oh, oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Yeah, I knew I figured you wouldn't want to really watch this. All right, let's punish oh, it. No record of loadouts war. Let's, let's go. go. Let's see let's how go. far can anything beat eleven eyes? I'm actually curious to see if something can be worse than eleven eyes. Oh man, please be sugar buddies or something. No, no, no. Oh, oh, oh it's sugar buddies. <laughs> Alrighty. Wow. Well, I actually got what I wanted. 
And I hope you were happy. Alrighty, uh, folks, we have rolled on Sugar Bunnies, an anime that is about sugar bunnies. It's literally... <laughs> it's about bunnies who are made of sugar, and they make little treats and desserts and have little baby adventures. Now, what season of Sugar Bunnies are we going to be watching? Um, there's only 26 episodes, and they're only like five minutes each, so we're going to watch all 27 episodes of Sugar Bunnies. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah, the runtime is like 30 minutes. It's it's like less than like two hours. Okay, then. I guess we will be watching one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, that's like two hours of Sugar Bunnies. And we will then uh, hopefully not have our brains melted out by uh, any more 11 Eyes type content here. I'll Sugar be Bunnies honest, this is the best series to follow. <laughs> yeah, Sugar Bunnies is the eye bleach uh, to 11 Eyes. It is for little babies and it's cute and it's funny. And the little sugar baby bunnies are funny bunny. And there are no titties and asses and horrible things happening in a I can't wait to do a serious breakdown. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do an episode on sugar bunnies, but you can <laughs> tune in next episode to find out. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. You want me to do the outro? Uh, I tune in. Know. Well, I'll do the outro. Okay, you can. All right. We'll see you next episode uh, for the next episode of Chasing Nimbus. Once again, my name is Nimu, and this is my co-host, Moopy. Uh, that's me. Uh, you can find all episodes of Spotify and all other major podcast networks. Be sure to leave reviews, follow, rate us, click the link in the doobly-doo, uh, leave a mean comment on Nimu's YouTube channel, and uh, look at other anime-related videos on that. And you can uh, find us on the Sugar Bunnies episode eating candy and you know slapping our asses or whatever. Uh, and that's it. See you later, chasers. Holy hell. Hit Craig. <laughs> Oops, I almost kicked you.